16 Australians are about to embark on an adventure that will change the way they see the world. They've left behind civilization as we know it. For the next 39 days and nights, they have to live off the land and the magnificent coastline that gives this place its beauty and its danger. They are all after the ultimate prize of $500,000. To win as an individual, they must first band together in two tribes to outwit, outplay and outlast both the elements and each other. Internet, daring to talk about the entire history of Australian Survivor from the very beginning right through to today. We are very excited to be back for episode four, a big episode because we are today getting into the recaps. We are recapping the very first episode in the history of Australian Survivor from 2002, season one, and it is a fun one to talk about, plenty to get to. My name is Ben, and... All those late-night bondage sessions have come good. My name's Matt Dyson, and unlike my season, the first boot got to play three days. <laughs> and I'm Cable Sage, and I can step a meter perfectly. I can do 80 minutes with a, within a foot, so I'll be setting the meter, okay? <laughs> wow, look at us doing the great quotes and everything and it's exciting to be here read the quotes and it's exciting to have a special guest here to do our first episode uh recap cable um you and i are oh, very well it. acquainted it, but uh you're, you're a beautiful man and when you think about people with knowledge of australian survivor you're easily in the top 17 so we're glad to finally get you to finally oh, talk about this you're looking well you're looking very fit and oh thanks healthy thanks. and Sucking up already, it just it happens. Yeah, you are, because I'm probably at my worst. <laughs> you, you never say that about me, Ben. Well, you know, I haven't known you as long, so we'll get there one day. Um, <laughs> get get a thousand likes on uh, Instagram. Just get that uh, audition tape, and then then we'll talk. Um, but we're, it's, oh, actually, I look a lot. I look, I look a lot younger and better in that audition tape, by the way. <laughs> well, Cable's got one too. Cable, uh, I've, I've at least seen a screenshot of Cable's audition tape. No, I can't say yes. the same for yours, Matt. But it's it's very exciting to be here. We had a fantastic episode last week with uh, Lincoln House and some great feedback. I know a lot of you guys listening to this really really enjoyed that, and we really do appreciate the feedback that we got. 
ended up in the top 30 on iTunes. Uh, fantastic feedback and fantastic downloads. So very much uh, appreciative of all of that. And we really wanted to kind of just before we get into the, the crux of this episode, we're obviously going to be going through the very first episode and one that maybe uh, we're thinking could be a little bit difficult for some people to follow along because this is the one episode that sadly isn't on YouTube for you to watch. Um, we want to we want to go through some of the feedback that we got through the week, particularly two, and then we're going to find out a little bit from Cable about his background when it comes to Australian Survivor because throughout these recaps, we plan to get some special guests on that aren't necessarily players or people involved with the show, the fans themselves, people who have been there, they remember it, and other people people involved in Australian podcasting and Survivor podcasting that kind of gets us uh, along the way. But but two comments we kind of got in the last week that we thought we just wanted to, to bring up. One, we Matt, you're, you're the second greatest first boot in the history of Australian Survivor. There, there is no question we will rank all six of them at some point. By the time we do that, there might be seven or eight. We don't know yet. But right now there's six. You're number two. Just quickly, I mean, where do you would you rank yourself at number two? You're fine with the silver medalist right now. Uh, I'm just sitting back and letting letting you rank me. I'm happy <laughs> if you rank me number two. I'll go with that. Cable is he number two? I just want to inflate his ego or deflate uh, I'll, it. Oh no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, the number but, one, but the other first boot, <laughs> the other first boots, they're awesome as well. They are, they are. Particularly one in this episode, which is going to have a big deal next week, but. The number one on that list is a certain Des Quilty, the season three first boot. We love Des. He's he's a legend. He is an icon of Australian Survivor. We we love him to bits. But uh, C- uh, Cable, you you've dealt with Des. We've all dealt with Des. We love Des. But he he's mm-hmm. tweeted us a lot throughout the week. We love you listening, Des. Fantastic. But I had to address one tweet that he's sent us along, and I'm going to read this one out, and we can sort of have a quick little discussion about this. He says at Ben Mortarworth 62 That's my Twitter handle, people. You can follow that if you like. Continual beating this drum, which is of little interest to anybody but Ben demanding to be right, is annoying the crap out of me. Any publicity for Survivor is good, but this issue is a waste of consideration. Listen to Ben. Even he continues to reference 2002 and 2006 or Celebrity, not Season 1 and 2. Listen to his pods. Count the number of times yourself. Differentiate. Let it go is boring and concentrate on good content, including guests from all seasons and the future. Hashtag no one care about numbering system, just you. Now, look, Des, love your work, mate. Fantastic. But I think we were very firm at the very beginning of this show that our our numbering system is clear. Number one is 2002. (laughs) Number two is 2006, so on and so forth. Yes, there have been times where I have mentioned other seasons by their year and things like that. Uh, and my bad, I should really follow our own system. But look, I, I understand a lot of people still uh, varying opinions. We had some comments on uh, our uh, post on Reddit this week that it came down to, and people were still kind of referring to it differently. So um, I I take your viewpoint on board. I, I don't agree with it. Uh, I, and again, I just like to prove that I'm right. And in my own head, I am. So there you go. It's important for everyone to remember too, we said at the start in our very first episode of of ASA that um, we know that there's confusion about the numbering system and and it's unfortunately because there was a big gap in between the 2002 season, so season one as we call it, and then the Channel 7 and then the the Channel 10, which we have now. Um, As an archives podcast, we class 2002 as season one. 
I've stated I understand why Channel 10 called 2016 season one. So obviously Des was on that season. I understand. I've spoken to Des and he never applied for 2002 Survivor season one. So where I did. So I guess in that terms, like I said, season one holds a very special place in my heart because it was the first season that I applied for. You know, for Des, he was on the first Channel 10 season. He never applied for any other Survivor before that. So for him, you know, they call, Channel 10 call that season one. So look, we understand that. We we understand that, you know, there is a bit of confusion about it and everyone's got their point of view and that's fine. But on this podcast, season one is Australian Survivor 2002. What I'll add to that is that, oh, look, I, I see where Des has come from. I, I understand a lot of people don't really like the numbering system and now some people just even call it, you know, Survivor 2016 or Survivor 2002, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, what sort of used to annoy me being in that Survivor bubble on, you know, social media and stuff, all these international fans of the show were trying to find out more about Australian Survivor and want to watch the new seasons and they'd be like, oh, season one. And then you go, no, there was another season, like, there's a real another season one. And like they got, conf- they were getting confused, but because Channel 10 were calling it season one, which again, I respect a lot of people that are newer to Survivor since, you know, like obviously a lot younger than you and or all three of us that they've, they didn't realise there was a celebrity version and a 2002 version. So that was the other thing, like, people were missing out. So Des can say what he wants, and I respect his opinion, but why you should be actually celebrating the ones that actually existed beforehand, even if you consider them rubbish. I mean, let people go back and watch it and actually, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that sort of annoys me because it disregards those two seasons, and then people have no no understanding that they exist if you call Channel 10 Season 1. And at the end of the day, I think Matt kind of just said it there too, like this is the the very sole reason of our podcast is for this history. And, you know, through that feedback, we've, we've received a lot of great comments um, from players past and present around you know, our, our post that we were sharing, I mean, one that actually really surprised me, we got a, a comment from Daisy from the most recent season, and Daisy basically said, this is great, keep this up. We've had some comments from Christy as well, who's who's a big fan of a lot of this sort of stuff too. So I'm, I'm really appreciating seeing these modern players who are, who are commenting and kind of seeing this history. And look, at the end of the day, I think we're all sharing the same viewpoint here that, Des, by all means, we respect your opinion. We respect if that's what you believe, that that's completely fine. That's not how we're going to run on this show. And, you know, I think as I wrote in that article, there's no real clarification. There's no clear clarification. So I think everybody's still going to continue to have this. We've just taken our viewpoint and clearly Dares and others have a different viewpoint. We have some great Channel 10 contestants for Survivor that are much younger than me, so in their 20s, um, that obviously would never have got the opportunity to, to apply for Season 1 or have ever watched it. I've got no doubt a lot of them have never watched it. So I admit, I agree with you completely, Ben, when when you know when Daisy put up that comment that she absolutely loved what we're doing because for her, she's played the game, she did well, and now she gets to sit back and whether it just be on social media or listening to our podcast, she gets to learn about the history of the show that has given her so much. So that's what's important here, that... It's not just the fans. It's now the newer contestants, the newer, younger contestants now get to see all this stuff that they knew nothing about. Like, not I don't expect all the contestants to know all about 
you know, Channel 9 and Channel 7 Survivor like I do. Because I'm a little, I was a little bit older, I got to apply for Season 1. But a lot of them didn't. So it, it, it's a great, you know, learning tool for them. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, uh, again, there's everyone for... We, we are going to have a, um, a pure feedback episode where we're going to plan that. We sort of... We're monitoring the comments that we're getting. Obviously, we tend to, apply, to reply to most of them because we really appreciate it. But in the future, we will do a, a feedback episode where you can ask specific questions of us and things like that too. And I also want to make it clear, Des, you're still the number one first boot of all time. <laughs> In Australian Survivor, let's not, um, you know, offend Deb Eaton now, Matt. Come on now. Um, <laughs> now, the other the other bit of feedback we got, again, we're not going to do this. I mean, we will do this each week if there's ones that we feel we need to address. Like, obviously, please comment if you've got things that you do want us related to the episodes we've done or things like that. But another one that I felt uh, important for us to quickly address here, um, we, had a, we had a comment on one of our posts from RealityTVFan61 on Instagram who basically said, don't give airtime to Joel Betts. He was charged with stabbing his girlfriend. Now... We're not going to touch too much on that aspect of it. We are obviously very aware of that situation. We're, we've talked about it with the interviews and things like that. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But in the context of this show, it, we can't ignore one player, particularly one who actually has a fairly prominent arc on the season. So, look, it, it is a tricky situation. But at the end of the day, if we were going to do that with a lot of the players on this season, you know, we've sadly had two have passed away. Uh, and it's, it's, it is something that you kind of can't really avoid. So we are aware of that, um, but at the end of the day, uh, we can't avoid talking about Joel. And I think it's important to remember w- when we're doing these recaps and interviews that we're, especially these recaps, we're, we're basically going back to the time period when it was played. So it was you know filmed in 2001 and aired in 2002. You know, obviously... All, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in this 17 years since that season was played. But for the, for here now, we're going back to the season as it was back then, and, and that's what we're going to talk about. Exactly. So, again, we, we take the feedback on board, but uh, definitely something that we, we can't do. Now... When it comes to, we're going to get into this episode, but I think Cable, it's important here. When it comes to the history of Australian Survivor, Matt and I talked a lot about it, of course, in our first few episodes. We talked about it with Lincoln last week. But just just quickly with yourself, because you and I have worked together for for several years now uh, across on, you know, my podcast, your podcast. You know, we've hung out, we've we've drunk beer together, we've... We've watched rugby and we've done a lot of shit together. Mm. We're good friends. Mm. We are we are BFFs. We love each other. If we were to ever end up on a deserted island, we would repopulate the earth. But on that note, I want to know how you okay. <laughs> got involved in Australian Survivor. That's my segue. I want give me a brief rundown of your your history with this show. Um. So, like Matt, I applied. I got my videotape done, my VHS, and sent it off to Channel 9 and decided I wouldn't worry about getting the uh, videotape back because you could um, pay for postage or the self-addressed envelope to get sent back, and I didn't bother with that. But uh, like Matt said on the podcast last week, I, I got the letter as well with the little little Survivor logo and Channel 9 and Sorry, mate, you haven't made it. Blah blah blah. But thank you, you know, for you know applying, and we had thousands. Blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. Which I agree, Matt. Matt touched on. Um, I don't know about the newer seasons, but you, by all means, by the sounds of it, you don't get any feedback, positive or negative, whether you get through or not. Whereas, at least Channel Nine made the effort to actually send everyone a letter 
to say, oh, thanks for attempting or thanks for sending us a tape, but um, sorry, bad luck. So I do have that somewhere. I know my mum's got it filed uh, away somewhere. So as soon as I find that, I'll, that's definitely going to be screenshot or scanned. So you guys, will, we, we can put it on the, on the site. And um, But I, I definitely have a connection to this season too because, and I probably have defended it. I have bagged it as well, but I've defended a little bit. And very much like Matt, like I feel like I've got – even though I wasn't on the season, I feel like I've had a connection to it because I applied. I was so invested in it. I know I got family and friends to really watch it that hadn't necessarily been Survivor fans. But, you know, I remember trying to get everyone on board. And that's why probably it hurt me a little bit when it sort of did have its issues because you sort of take it personally that you've tried to get people onto this show and then they're like, what is this? This is not even, you know, especially after the first challenge fails, you go, what the hell is this? Um, But also compared to any other season, I had a connection to three of the players too. So I had a little bit of a history with with, with Rob Dixon. So I was, when he got um, cast, I was super wrapped for him and he was like someone that I was absolutely rooting for to win. Uh, Katie Gold, uh, during the season very early on, came in and he, she was doing some stuff at La Trobe University where I worked and I was a brister there and I made a coffee a couple of times. So had a bit of a chat to Katie and she was awesome. And then... Joel, I actually met at a bar again during the season. He was happened to be in Melbourne. I just happened to walk in his bar. We, I recognised him. Like, hey, Joel, you know, blah blah blah. And I, I don't know if no one else recognised him or there was no one else in the bar, but he was like so engaged. He just wanted to talk Survivor. He was wrapped. He's like, come over, have a drink, and all that sort of stuff. So I've always had a fondness for the season, even though in previous times I've sort of been disappointed and maybe been a little bit negative about it but yeah definitely it's a season that i'll always defend as well and i i hate when people really slag it off and not really give it its due one thing i think we will do during the week you you found an article that you wrote uh i think about six years ago now for survivor of about uh the history of it and kind of just looking back and this is of course well before the channel 10 version even came came back and it was a fascinating read a very fascinating read and the opinions, I mean, incidentally, my opinion of that season, based on one word, I said it sucked, let's never talk about it again. So clearly, as I've said plenty of times in this show, my opinion used mm. to be on the negative train as well. But it, it was very fascinating because I think you touched on a lot of things that were then, I'm not saying Channel 10 use it, maybe they did, but were then actually done by Channel 10. There was a particular premonition mm. there about getting Russell Hance on, which, funnily enough, yeah. it happened. So <laughs> I think we'll share that. And another one, too, I know, Matt, you recently listened to this as well, and I actually listened to it as well. Just before the uh, Channel 10 version premiered in 2016, you and uh, another person who worked on Survivor Oz, Noah, people probably familiar with him, did an episode kind of looking back at the original two. Which yeah. it, it's very interesting insights, and this is why I think it's in, you know, we've kind of always wanted to get you involved in this show to a point, because you do have these interesting insights into the show and kind of, yeah, being back then and all that sort of stuff with your M&M here yeah. when you applied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't ever mention that again. Don't worry, I will, because we want to see that almost as much as Matt. Although, actually, we want to see Matt's more because I, Matt with hair, I don't know. How's that going to look? Yeah. Your video must have sucked just as much as I because <laughs> you didn't make the audition special that, of course, Ben Dark hosted, yes. and neither did I, and you didn't get on. So I'm thinking... It could be a battle off to see whose sucks more. I know it will yeah. be mine, but I reckon yours could be close. No, so I, I do have a bit of a confession. Like, I, I have the raw footage, but I don't have an actual edited version that I would have sent off. So 
the, the, I don't have a master copy of that, but I've definitely got bits and pieces that was filmed. And, yeah, it's kind of terrible because even in that scenario, I should have really gone back and watched the tapes, the VH test tapes of, you know, Borneo and uh, the Australian Outback where they showed some of the, you know, players' uh, videos because, yeah, I I tried to, I think, be too smart, but I know I did say lie, I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal. And uh, I don't think a lot of people – did that for Australian Survivor, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I wasn't as out there for that special either, um, that special. Uh, there's a lot of very interesting characters. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't they get we're, cast? We're, we're still looking for Kitty Miller. And Ben Dark. <laughs> we, we're still worried for his safety. Uh, please find us if you, you need to get Ben Dark out there. Um, I think I think one thing that uh, we can all maybe do eventually, Matt, I mean, in all seriousness with the audition tapes, like I would actually love to see, Matt, the one that you did that got you on. Like That would be a cool one to see. And I, I'm, I'm proud as hell when we get to, to Channel 10 seasons to, to show my two or three. I, can't, I think I've applied three times. Um but, uh, yeah, clearly I've never even gotten remotely close. So mine are probably – the one I did with T-Bird was fine. But the other ones, I can't even remember what I did. That would be on my computer somewhere. But anyway, um, it's exciting to have you here, Cable, and we're excited to hear your voice amongst these. Well, thank, thanks for having me. I, I do appreciate the invite. Well, look, you're welcome. You're welcome, Cable. You're welcome. Episode one, though, we're here to talk about it. And just I think the really interesting thing – before we kind of get into the gist of things, um, do we remember our mindset when this premiered? Because, Matt, you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, getting involved in this, sort of loosely talking a little bit about when this started and why we got involved. All jokes aside, we've, we've talked touched on the, the audition special, which aired the night before. This premiered on the, the 13th of February 2002, which was a Wednesday night, if I'm not mistaken. I, I do remember the lead up to this being very excited. And I think, you know, again, we did touch on that in that very first episode, the, the, the lead up, the anticipation. We've touched on how well this was promoted, how much was out there in terms of just what was riding on this. And I do remember waiting all day for this to premiere. I remember, you know, glued to my TV. I'd bought my VHS tape. I was recording this. I wanted to keep this forever. And just... just Everything about that day being revolved around that episode, because I think I've also touched, I believe the Salt Lake 2002 Olympics were on at the same time, so like I was very invested in my, my television for that period of 2002, but Matt, do you remember, do you remember this premiere night, do you remember getting all anticipated and ready to, to watch the very first episode of Australian Survivor? Yeah, I definitely remember my, my sort of uh, thought pattern back then is I had a rule uh, I was in hospitality at the time, so shift work, you know, working nights and stuff. But I would never work a premiere episode of Survivor or a finale of Survivor. Every other time if I had to work, I would record it on my VHS and then watch it as soon as I got home. But I always had a rule, would never work the very first episode and would never work a finale. C- Cable, I- I'm sure, like, again, you, you did you have a similar thing in terms of the, the anticipation? Did you block out the nights when you were working? Yeah, it's funny you bring it up, and it's all sort of flooding back to me, but I was actually with my girlfriend at the time. We had done a road trip to Queensland that she really wanted to do on Byron Bay, and we decided to drive, and we were actually on the way back. And from memory, I knew the date the show was supposed to start, but I didn't know. I don't think the surviving survival, the you know the first episode, uh, the Ben Dark episode, 
sorry, I'm losing my words for a second, but um, I didn't know that was going to be on. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to see that. So halfway back to Melbourne, I sort of did this whole thing with, oh, I think we need to stop and we're a bit tired from driving, all that sort of stuff, so we could stay in a motel so I could watch it. Because like Matt said in a previous episode, like you can't just catch up on that stuff. You've got to have faith that your video recorder is set and ready to go or someone's going to tape it for you. And you know what? I never really had a lot of faith in that sort of stuff. So I'm like, no, I want to. So we stopped and, and paid for a motel when we probably couldn't get through. I just would have missed it. But, yeah, I had to watch it. So the same thing, I'd been on leave and, yes, yeah, so that next day I was sort of finally back in Melbourne and uh, a couple of hours later, the, you know, sitting down for the episode and had the VCR ready and the, the remote control ready to pause the ads and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Pausing the ads, yes. I would. I just went through such a phase of taping so many things off TV, like movies, because you'd want them to keep. But, yes, the pausing of the ads. Like, kids these days don't know the drama you had to have when you were taping these mm. things off TV because you had to pause it and then you had to... If you went to the toilet and got a drink and all of a sudden an ad was quickly over, you were like, chit, 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 chit and missed like 30 seconds of it and things like that. Jeez, that's bringing back some memories there, Cable. Good job. Well, do you remember the motel you booked? Like, can you go back and get a photo? I'm like, hey, this is the motel. I watched the first nah, episode. Nah, nah. <laughs> it's be country, country Victoria, country New South Wales somewhere, yeah. It, it brings me it brings back good memories about the pausing of the VHS. I totally forgot about those days. Jeez, yeah, far out. That That's crazy. Because, I, yeah, I had taped all of Africa. Um, so I was kind of on a trend there of really taping Survivor, but um, I think I have touched on that. You know, you 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 do kind of have that bit of a letdown, and maybe we'll talk about this at the end of the episode of kind of like a lot of people like, wow, this isn't what I was expecting. This isn't Survivor, but uh, you know, obviously we we can we can touch on that. The thing that I did try to find, which is very tricky to find a lot of this sort of stuff on online now, sadly. Uh, and I'm unfortunately not in the right country to be able to go to a library and track down an old newspaper to look at the old TV guide. But um, I was trying to kind of see what was on a Wednesday night on, on Channel 9 back in 2002. From from memory, we would have probably had like a, a current affair or something on at like 7. I, I don't know if Sale of the Century, I think it was called Temptation back then, was on around about that time. Uh, I think Money with Paul Clitheroe was on around about on a Wednesday night. Like, all these random ones I'm remembering from my childhood. But um, I'm sure, like, it was followed by some version of CSI or Without a Trace, you know. We, I think Without a Trace is very important for Australian Survivor. You know, a certain brother ended up hosting Australian Survivor and his brother mm. was a star of that, so... It's important to remember too that uh, a lot of a lot of family homes only had the one TV, mm. so it's not like now where every room seems to have a TV and mm. you know everyone can just watch different stuff. It was like you had one TV in the living room and you all had to agree on what you're going to watch. So yeah. you know for the families, if it was like, well, it's going to be Survivor, so everyone's got to get into it. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very important thing to make in, in the context of television. Like all jokes aside about the the VHSs, but as we've mentioned before, and we'll constantly mention, you know, this is this is pre things like catch up TV, 
and and things like that. And I mean, even seeing on some of this promotional material, like in in the official guide that we've talked a lot about, you know, seeing them mention like nine msn.com.au forward slash survivor and you know things like this. It's kind of it's very early days of the internet, so it was very basic stuff. So you were still relying on a lot of this news and things like that from newspapers. I've mentioned about I've got that preview article from the Herald Sun, you know, TV Week. I used to get that at the time. That had some extensive articles and all this sort of stuff. So it, it was a very different time, which, you know, I'm sure some of our younger listeners who have grown up on in television a certain style, like as Matt said, you had one TV. DVD players were very fresh and new back then. It was almost a luxury to have mm. one. There weren't DVD yes. recorders. There weren't, you know, DVRs and things like that. So you were recording on VHS um, and things like that. So, um, yeah. And then you were trying to buy, you were trying to buy tapes that went for four hours. The, the LP, the long the play thing. ones, or yeah. you put it on short play? Well, yeah. Well, you get the four-hour four tape, right. and then and then you could, if you had the long play player, you got eight hours out of the tape. But then I used to always snap the the, the uh, little uh, tab off so it couldn't be taped over. So once I sort of taped it, no one could actually accidentally tape over it. I, I wasn't a tab uh, remover, but I was a long play. I swore by the long play. Which was frustrating, though, because I think I had a black and white TV in my room at the time with an old VHS player that wasn't long play so if i would record the one in my lounge room on long play go oh sweet i'm gonna rewatch that in my bedroom then all of a sudden you got like really fast because it wouldn't work so oh god this is great memories i really miss those i miss chicken feed I- tasmania's chicken feed where you can buy these tapes like you can buy like a five pack of three hour tapes or like five bucks or something like that mm. And did you remember? Remember, they used to have a thing. I'm pretty sure it would have been around when this was airing. They had the thing, the G code. Yes, you had the uh, yes. yes, you had the code that you could put in that would actually program it to know. But it was the, always the off no, because, like, the times never, you know, because like mm-hmm. a current affair would run over by like three minutes. So of course, yeah. G code would start through. But then you would yes. lose the line. So you, I would always manually do it and set it like ten minutes before and ten minutes after. Yeah. Yeah, you know, blood G code was an amazing thing. Kids these days don't know the joys of G code. I, I think uh, they've got all this young generation now listening to this, uh, googling G code. <laughs> well, so back, we're, back- here, we're here to tell the we're here to tell the history of Australian Survivor, and if that means the ex- extra <laughs> stuff around that, then. You've got to learn it. But back in that day, Matt, though, you wouldn't even be able to Google it. You'd have to go to Ask Jeeves. What is G code? <laughs> Alta Vista. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to get into this first episode. I actually um, can't wait to talk about this first episode. So what I think we're going to do with a lot of this is we're kind of going to lump it into sections and kind of if anybody's been familiar with some of our other shows, you know, and recapping, you know, we maybe do it in a certain style. But here we're really going to kind of try to put it into groups and sort of keep it, you know, in a certain thing. Because as always, Survivor's a little bit different when it comes to recapping things. It's not necessarily everything that you can be recap you're going to have some episodes where there's really nothing to talk about before a challenge or the challenge is over with and things like that but this this episode of course we start off with these sweeping shots of whaler's way now we we talked a little bit with lincoln last week in regards to this location and we're going to have some other great interviews uh throughout this of talking about this location but straight away visually i mean this is stunning to look at like you know you've got these helicopter shots over the coast and the water and just the landscape i mean right away they uh they are selling this quite well i'm hooked on this location straight away absolutely that's that's one of the best things i think not just this you know the season but uh you know so much did go wrong in the in the first episode but that opening 
you know, few minutes where you're right, the sweeping aerial views and you see the cliffs, the cr- crashing water, you see animals like the snake sort of hisses at the, the camera and then you see the kangaroo jumping along and, and then it does that shot to the windmill and you, and then all of a sudden, bang, you hear uh, Lincoln's voiceover and, and he starts introducing about what the game's about. Like you just don't get that these days because everyone knows what the game's about. So you don't need that. But it's the one thing I, I really love about the show. Like I, I love those early seasons where they're talking about what the game is actually about and the location and where they are and how hard they're going to do it. Like that's just stuff money can't buy anymore. And I, I would say too that out of all the introductions of Australian Survivor, I think I think honestly I think season two's is the best. I think kind of you've got the, the Vanuatan people on the boats and all that sort of stuff. Like it's a fantastic thing, but we'll get Great. to that one obviously a little later on. But um I mean this one's up there because yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this really is on that style of, of the early American seasons where you just have that unique introduction i mean we remember africa we remember australian outback you know on the plane and you know even borneo kind of you know the marooning you know one of the you know greatest you know moments of the decade for television you know just such a great moment but this has got all that i think kind of just the the sweeping shots as you said with lincoln's voiceover too um i love also the way this opens you've kind of got that little music that and then you kind of hear the wind like it's kind of it really is an omen for this season the amount of wind that you hear isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah, and then and that's right. And then you see, and then that first look at the contestants, and they're all blindfolded in this old bus. And then it, there's this great shot where it kind of goes, it's like an aerial shot, and it goes over the front of the bus and then over the top and then to the rear. And then you just see it driving. It looks like it's just driving to nowhere, and you see the cliffs in the background, and you know that these contestants are there blindfolded. It's just, it just gets you ready for that first episode. And I also, the, the fun fact about that bus is that that was just a school bus from Port Lincoln mm. that they yes. grabbed and then they basically, the art department made it look old and rustic and, you know, really run down. So basically they filmed this one scene and then they took it back to the, the Port Lincoln primary. And that's where we've got to give credit. I mean, we know everyone's quick to, 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 to talk about the negative stuff, but, you know, that was 17 years ago, but... You look at my season, like I got brought in on uh, just a crappy truck with a couple of bamboo things um, tied to the side and the front. That was it. Like this is 17 years ago, yet they've got this old school school bus that they've made look, you know, 100 years old. They've got a like a fly screen door for the, the door of the bus. Um, you know, they've got wood over the windows. It's just like they've actually gone and put a lot of effort into it. And that's what I really appreciate about it. And because even now we don't always get that. It's sort of more like, well, let's just get that done and dusted and let's get to the first challenge where they've actually here. It's like, no, no, no. Let's show the audience about, you know, the first look at the contestants and where they are. And on this bus, you mentioned they're all blindfolded. We've kind of got a shot of each of them. I like sort of, You've got Katie there stretching a leg, sort of, you know, pulling it over yes. her head. Um, we're going to talk a lot about Katie. She's, wow. Uh, and then another person who we're um, going to mention a little bit about, um, Sylvan. Uh, he already looks bored. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there, but uh, anyway, but uh, the bus pulls up and we've got Lincoln standing on the cliff. I kind of, you know, just hanging on there. One thing I will say that this intro is missing is kind of a, you know, a Lincoln standing over the cliff with his arms next to each other and, you know, for the next 39 days, these 16 Australians, like, you know, I sound a bit like Dicko there, but, you know, Probst was doing it a little bit at that point. Dicko did it. You know, I think that's the one thing I will say that this is missing. 
Why do you immediately go into Dicko? <laughs> you immediately go into the Dicko voice every time. Because, like, you think about each of the hosts, right? Lincoln's just this calming sort of, you know, he's very... You can tell he's been a journalist on TV. Like, he's got that sort of announcer voice. Like, I'm Lincoln Howes and this is Survivor. You know, Jonathan Apali has kind of got that, you know, these Australians are going to be playing a game. Like, you just want to look at JLP because he's hot. Whereas, whereas Link uh, with Dicko, he's, he's oh no, I'm Dicko and play hard and play to win and I'm on Survivor. Like I don't know, like it's just he's the funnest to do out of all the three hosts. <laughs> but you are you are right. It was probably as, I mean as much as I love that opening, and I really do. I really love the opening of season one. You're right. It probably did miss that little introduction of just um, Lincoln sort of, yeah, on, you know, a cliff or somewhere. But, I mean, in saying that, though, I mean, it is a good view when he gets them out and he, he's on the edge of the, the cliff and, and he lines them up. But, yeah, you, you are probably right. And a lot of it, too, you got to remember, we, we talked a lot about, you know, last week with Lincoln about the budget, and this is something that will get brought up constantly around those production values, is that, you know, this is working on a tenth of the budget of the US season. So, you know, there are certain things that, that they can't do here. So they're, they're really doing what they can, basically, with the best of their ability. So I think kind of making do with things like the bus and kind of just those shots of the, the landscape and everything. And you've got that real fast drumming music as well when it kind of you, you, you picks up and it speeds in and the players are coming off the bus and Lincoln sort of, you know, like, all right, come on, everyone, get off the bus. Here you go. Come on, get off the bus. And then we get the very infamous moment which we brought up with him last week green over here blue over there now cable um how's your color going mm. uh what do you what do you when you see this the green and the yellow debate <laughs> yeah it's definitely closer to yellow but it, it's, it's a weird color it's like that sort of almost in between it's like a bit of a a mix it's not like a really strong yellow and it's not a clearly it's not a, a full-on green but it's yeah, hey, well, go. you need some sleep, mate. It's yellow every day of the week. <laughs> Even Lincoln last week. No, no, said no, it was no, no. Oh, no, I agree. I would, I would say, I would definitely say yellow, but it's not like you know your your pogong buff or something that's really a hundred percent yellow. It's definitely got a bit of a, a tint to it that sort of. But I agree, it's not, it's not green. The one thing too that I should mention as well, we we kind of get this old school Survivor thing where they would introduce each of the cast members. I believe they did this in the US one until Thailand. I think they stopped after Thailand from memory. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I like this. Like this is again. Oh coming... no, I think. Yeah. So I think Amazon was the last. Time. So Amazon they did it on Amazon, did they? Okay, all right. Um, it was around at least around then. I definitely know they did it on yep. Thailand, but I, I, I know Thailand a lot better than I know Amazon, so that's that could be where I'm blanking out a little bit there. But I mean, this is one of those old school Survivor things that I, I don't know if it's maybe just people like us who have watched Survivor from the very beginning that that was a thing that we really liked. Like you're never going to get that now, and fair enough. I mean, that takes a good two minutes out of your premiere episode. It's it's completely different now. But I mean, this you look at this episode too. We don't get a confessional. I think until at least fifteen minutes in, whereas it's just like that's not how it works now. So this is what's replacing those early confessionals. You've got this quick little introduction of all the players. I do love the awkward little smiles that each of the players have in the camera. You know, I I, I would love to have been there at filming like. No, 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 Craig, we don't believe you. Like that, just smile again at the camera. I reckon they would have taken about 500 shots with Sylvan. Like, Sylvan, Sylvan, you're excited. Oh, okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm on Survivor. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. I think there's a shot. There's a shot of Lance too. I think, and he just looks like he's like, "Is it day thirty nine yet? You know, can we can we can we leave?" I I did notice that when I've watched it a couple of times recently. So uh, yeah, it's probably were there for quite some time. I'd say. We, we, we get them separated into tribes, so Kadena and Tapara are now both named after shipwrecks in the area. And just, just a quick history on this, because I think it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, the, the book kind of goes into a little bit this, that uh, Kadena was um, ships, uh, so 1875, May the 11th, the Kadena and Wallaroo ships anchored off the coast of South Australia. Uh, wind blew with such a force that Wallaroo lost its mooring and crashed into the Kadena and both ships were washed ashore. And the Kadena was then sent to Port Adelaide as a hulk where it caught fire in 1879. So uh, that's Kadena. Tapara, on uh, the 2nd of September 1877, the steam launch Tapara was under tow from the SS Euro when the tow cable parted. Six-ton launch imported from England and used for the building of the Tapara Lighthouse was picked up by the heavy swell dashed under the Euro. The damage was so great it sank within 10 minutes. And uh, there you go. So that's kind of uh, a cool little history there. Again, you don't get this. Like, I mean, it's kind of cool. You've got your tribes now. You don't often hear this. And this is a... I love these things where you learn about these like, tribes, like, you know, Kucha and Ogre Corps. We, we learn about that in Australian Outback and, you know, things like that. I love these cultural connections where you learn a little bit about it and kind of just an- another one of these old school elements that I think we, we do lose a lot here. I really do love Lincoln's introduction, though, when, you know, he's get there and he's like, oh, and both ships here, you know, they sunk off the coast here. Something to think about. And also home to Australia's killer shark, the Great White. And out there, you've got killer snakes and foxes and and ants that are called enchants. But believe me, you'll know when you find one. That is just, I just, there's just something about the way he's doing it, which is just, it, it's calming. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, Lincoln's got this way of explaining things. Where it's like, you could get killed in an instant by a brown snake. It's going to bite you and the venom's going to make you paralyzed and you're going to lose control of your bodily functions. But bloody hell, you're going to have a good time doing it. Like, it's just... <laughs> Oh, no wonder he won a Logie. Um, <laughs> like, he, he definitely, he definitely set the scene. I got it, and, and, and that's what I liked about it. I liked the fact that in that first five minutes, we we got an understanding of of where they're going to be, you know, playing this game for the next thirty nine days. And and I mean, I suppose you look at my season. I mean, it's it's my season had nothing to do about the location or any past history of Fiji or anything like that. It wasn't about that. Where this season as all those early seasons are, is about the location and about the location that, um, you know, and, and it's past history and what it's going to be like for him in those next, you know, 39 days of playing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's like that real hardcore survivor about, well, some mightn't, some mightn't survive, some will, let's see what happens. And uh, what did you think about Lincoln then um, calling out Jane, obviously as the, the youngest contestant and she got to pick, um, she got to. He flipped the coin, and then she got to pick heads or tails to uh, decide who was going to um, be at what camp. I'm going to let Cable answer this one first. Why? Because <laughs> um, no, because I, I, look, I didn't to. have it. No, I didn't. I didn't have a huge issue with it. I, I wasn't controversial too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, it sort of puts you on the spot pretty quickly. It's heads or tails. Um, I think the other issue that will. All, all discuss in a second is more the 
the whole uh, who's closest to the well and who's closest to the food and all that. That's that was the one thing that annoyed me. But I'll throw back to you, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't have it have an issue with the. Fa- I mean, Jane was eighteen, so it's pretty clear that she was the youngest. Um, but um, I guess how else were they going to decide um, who got to choose? Probably some sort of little challenge straight off the bat, maybe. You know, like they ended up having that thing like right at the end of that little passage where um they got to swim out and collect their maps or whatever it was and um there was no real like there was two of them out there anyway so it's not like you could have just doggy paddled and taken an hour to get there it was like (laughs) it wasn't going to matter if you were there in two seconds or 20 minutes you know where maybe they could have just had one of them out there and whoever got their first day got to decide you know who who gets to go where i think probably that would have been better than a coin toss and calling out the youngest member of the tribe but i mean that's uh, that's probably the way I would have done it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really have an issue of the fact that they let Jane pick the coin toss. Yeah, so oh, look, I totally agree, Matt. That was the one thing I wrote in my notes as well, that I was confused. They, oh, you've got to select someone to go. And it's like Katie's like, oh, I'll do it. And then uh, Craig's like, oh, you'll go. And it's like they sort of build up like you think it's going to be a challenge. And it's like there's no race. There's no stakes to it. Like you just – go out and like you said like it looked like from one shot like they're gonna have to do a decent like 50 meter swim at least to go out there and it's like no it's just knee deep sort of water and you're right i mean what was the point of the coin toss they should have made it more exciting to say who's going to get the better camp potentially and then race for it and then that's your first sort of challenge off the bat which i think yeah i i think i agree with everything that's being said but i also think in the in the context of where we are, like today, absolutely, I think all of those things would have been done. But I think that this this hadn't been done at that point in US Survivor from memory. This is kind of a unique thing where you sort of you've got a choice off the bandwagon straight away with one player, and it's purely because of her age. And then all of a sudden, you've got a challenge to kind of get something. And yeah, there, there's no point to this challenge because I, I think if you do make that as whoever gets there first gets to choose where the camp is that's got some stakes on it but literally they're cool we'll just wade out to our knees and grab a map and a compass and then we're off so it's kind of i I like the idea that they're trying something a little bit unique but there's no stakes to it and i think this is where a lot of the way too i think we're going to definitely focus on some of the the editing of this season which is very unique because even the way this is edited it's sort of you know, Jane loses a coin flip. Kadena chooses between this alternate day situation, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute. Then it's all of a sudden Katie and Craig put their hands up. They go out and get it. And then all of a sudden it sort of cuts back to it. And then boom, again to the titles. That's it. Like it's, it's kind of, it's very awkwardly edited. And I think it really does show that, you know, Australian Survivor at this point was kind of working on their own free will that it's sort of, they're trying something a little bit different, but it's not quite on par with what we've expected with, you know, two seasons, three seasons of the US one at that point. So, Nowadays, it's kind of charming, but at the time, you know, we were all thinking, what is this? This is not what we're used to. So um, I do I do like, though, when they put their hands up for this challenge. I just, I really am never going to have anything negative to say against Katie. I really don't think I am because I just love straight away where Katie's like, I swim six Ks a day, I can do this. And they're like, okay. Like, it's kind of, and then Craig's like, oh, I live near the beach. Yeah, I'll give it a go. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> Katie's just like, yeah, I'll do it. They're like, yeah, Katie. Okay, yeah. I'll live near a beach. Kadena, <laughs> r- right from the start, we knew Kadena were just going to be way too chilled for oh. this game. Like, they just, here's, 
here's Katie. You got Katie and other characters on Tapara. That I mean, they they were ready to start, you know, chopping heads off on <laughs> yeah. on minute one. And you and you got Kadena. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You yeah. know, we'll just go with the flow. Yeah, no, no. I've seen water once or twice in my life. I, I reckon I could probably go in it. And yeah, no, I think possibly. Meanwhile, Sylvan's in the back, probably having a sleep. Um, <laughs> just you know. it, it definitely it was like it was probably the the weirdest sort of passage that it was about a five minute passage because once they go out and get the map, the next sort of shots are them um, they're going and looking for the their items that they need. But once again, it doesn't appear to be a time limit. It's just you know basically go and find them and until you find them or once you find them that's when you start heading towards your camp where Mm. you know now obviously on new seasons they'll have you know they'll have a boat and it's you know grab whatever you can and then and then jeff will be like all right that's enough jump off you know so it's like you got a minute or 30 seconds to grab everything i mean it looked like they could have been out there for an hour just looking for stuff and then once they've got everything all right start heading back so it was a bit of a weird passage i'd say the one thing I'll quickly add to just um, – we may as well quickly talk about it now. It's been brought up a couple of times, this whole decision to find water, you know, closest to the water, closest to the, the beach for food. This actually was a production choice. This had nothing to do with the location. This was based purely on the producers saying, this will be fun, let's make them do this because it will add a bit of tension to it. And when you find that out, it actually, I think, makes it worse to me because I yeah. think at the end of the day, if you had that as a reason because of the location, there was no way around it, okay, fine. But the fact that this is a deliberate choice, I think I've never really had an opinion on it, to be honest. I know, okay, well, you've kind of been quite negative on that. But now that I know that, I do think it's a bit of a, a cop-out because, okay, they're trying something a little bit different, but is that really the best you can do? Yeah, I, uh, it's always infuriated me because how do you tell players that are already starving that you can only go every second day to get fish? If you've got like Rob Dixon and I think Lance was there and a few of those guys were catching fish, they have every right. If they want to go every day to get a fish, they should be allowed to. Like I don't understand – and water is a pretty important resource. And like how can you tell people that you can't go – and look, that's news to me, what you've just said, and it's really interesting because I actually thought that might have been due to, firstly, production. Maybe it was easier for them um, filming them and, and maybe less cameramen or something along those lines. And also the tribe's not crossing paths at the same time at the same locations, so to keep them separated. But also, yeah, I thought it was to do more so with the location that was sort of they were kind of hamstrung a little bit by having it that way. But if you're saying production made that as a, an actual choice, that is one of the dumbest moves I've ever heard in Survivor. I'm going to slightly disagree with you both. I think I think it's important to remember these days, you know, the water well is 20 metres away from camp. You know, you get up, you grab your water bottle, you walk and fill up your water bottle. That's it. You walk back. Um if you want to get food or go to the go to the beach, it's 20 metres in front of camp. You just walk down the beach, bang, the water's there. The location of Whaler's Way, you've got to remember that windmill, and Ben, we posted a photo of the, the camp map, or not the whole sort of Whaler's Way map on our social media this week. It, it, it gives you an idea, and that's where they went to get water. So 
what you were saying, Cable, they had to be careful that, one, that both tribes weren't mingling together. Like, what happened if Kadena are down and the next second you got Tapara, some members walking down there? They can't have them seeing each other. Um, from what we've been told, too, it was a long bloody walk to go get water, like a long walk, not 20 metres. We're talking about an hour yeah. or so, poss- possibly more at the time they get it and come back. It's a lot of the time in the day. Um, you know, it's it's going to be boring TV if they're every day people are just walking to the well, walking back. Well, you know, um, we're now like everything's got a water in a well 20 metres away. Like, so I, I just, you've got to keep that in, in context of what that situation was there, how the camp was set up. Um, you know, we say that it was a production, you know, they, they chose to do it like that, but they've obviously done it for a reason. If there's only one water source and that's a windmill that's, you know, one camp's basically got to pass the other camp to get to the windmill, they've got to be careful on how they're going to separate the two tribes. So, I mean, I don't like that it, it, it went down like that and that's how they had to do it. And spot on cable, it is annoying if they're hungry as all hell and they've got to wait an extra day to go get fish. But I think just the way Whaler's Way is set up and the, the camp they had, I think in the end that was just probably how the best it was going to be for the show. Well, we had the opening credits and, you know, we're not going to talk about this every episode, but just a quick chance to talk about these now. Obviously, Matt, you and I have talked at length about how much we actually really love this theme now. That, again, at the time, yes, we were all disappointed. We were thinking, what is this? What's going on? But it's aged fantastically, and this I never skip this. I never, ever skip the opening titles, whereas I will do that on most seasons of Survivor. But this is fantastic. And and even, I think, the editing and kind of the style that they, they do this, you know, we have the great shots of the, the location, and one of the best bits I love is that shark at the very end biting as it goes mm-hmm. into the logo. It, it's, it's fantastic. There's probably not a whole lot to talk about here. I might go to you cable this one unless matt you've got anything extra you want to add because i know we've talked about the theme before but you know your thoughts cable on on the theme like then compared to now and just the opening credits in general yeah i'm i'm probably on a similar similar wavelength to you you boys um i don't have any issues with it now um i don't mind it um at the time again it was it was sort of jarring you're so used to having that ancient uh voices theme and not to not have it just felt weird um so this time watching it um you know i was happy with it and i agree with you it's not a bad song it's just in the context of the time you know you want to hear ancient voices so you kind of disregard whatever else they replace it with so i'm okay with it the only thing i'm actually a little bit picky with now is the sequence that they actually show all the survivors, like it's they're all out of whack, they're not in their tribes and something like that. That's kind of like I'm a bit anal about that sort of stuff that I'd rather have show us Tapara first, then Kadena or vice versa. And it's actually really interesting. Rob is shown last and it's a very yes. ongoing stat in the US one, I believe, and I don't know if it's been broken since the last time I looked it up, but uh, it was a constant thing for a long time that the winner had never been shown last. But Rob, of course, is shown last. Or first, yeah. So um, very interesting that Rob is shown last. But, yeah, that's actually a point I've never actually really paid too much attention to, Cable, now that you bring that up. Because did they not used to... Did they actually have the tribe names on the um, US seasons at the time? Yes. Because, obviously, they didn't do switches and things like that where it got a bit confusing. So, yeah, very interesting. Matt, I don't know if you had anything to add. Again, we've talked about this at length, but... 
Yeah, I think everyone's aware of. You know, I I really love the the opening credits. I love the music, and um, and, and I I'll just say this. I mean, if if this season would have been a, a, an absolute hit, and we had subsequent seasons, and and you know, if after seventeen years, if we were still going strong with one season or two seasons every year, you know what this this song especially the theme would be so you know just so loved now but the fact that it was only used for that one season and it's forgotten about um you know it probably it doesn't get the credit it deserves but look everyone knows my thoughts on it so there's sort of no point in harping on it too much but um, yeah i mean i wouldn't change it let's just say that i wouldn't change it now there's a bit to cover sort of between here and the challenge because generally we'll have it broken up with the reward and an immunity but kind of we've got stuff here so we'll kind of just summarize this as best as we can they're, they're finding all their equipment they've they're set out on the task here they've gotten their map and their compass and Matt I think you alluded to before basically now to get to their camps they've got to pick up their items so they've got to pick up water bottles their their torches um, everything else along the way uh, I, I, a few of the things I really like here Lucinda being quite bossy straight away that was your sort of intro quote <laughs> like you know I know what a meter is I do this I do that um, Sophie's fallen over um, Joel's basically the happiest guy in the world uh, I, I just love the enthusiasm of Joel that just really shines through like it's just fantastic and then we get to their camps who's the first to complain straight away it wouldn't be Sylvan would it Surely there has to be more shelter than that. <laughs> Within two, two minutes, two minutes of arriving, who's it? Sylvan's already complaining. We get this very odd, and again, this kind of falls into this unique editing in this season. I think like there's definitely times it works, and there's definitely times it just feels very weird. I think this is a weird moment because you get to Kadena, Sylvan complains, and then there's a camera, and. Lucinda takes about five. It's a camera. Is that a camera? It's a camera. And then it's like they take a photo. Oh, it's a beautiful camera. <laughs> I'm glad Cable said that. I'm glad. To... Was that a bit weird? Yeah, it's like, that's a beautiful camera. Like, I'd laugh every time I hear it. I wish I wish we could find out where those photos are now. Yes. Someone must. Someone must have them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that too, because, and I'm glad you remembered it because I was thinking the same thing, like, when they do that, I feel like in any other reality show, they, well, they would be on Instagram now. You know, they, those, you know, if you watch something like Love Island, they'd be snapping away and all that stuff goes onto the, the website and all that sort of stuff. So you sort of wonder, they would have developed those photos. And, and like Matt said, you just sort of wonder who has them, where they are, were they ever seen the light of day? Obviously, Ben, you've been putting up a lot of the photos on the, on the social media side of things wonder if um, they'll pop up eventually. I know Deb uh, shared some with me a couple of years ago when she came on the Oz Network, and I don't know if any of them were from the cameras. But, um, yeah, and it's, it, the thing that's unique, you'll see a little bit of it with um, Tapara as well, but it just kind of comes out of nowhere and then it just it just disappears. Like, it's kind of, was this just a thing that they got on day one? Like, cool, let's remember this. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea because I agree with both of you. I think it's kind of a, you know, you would see these and it's kind of a cool little thing. But at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, this is like the the Blair Witch Challenge or something that they did on Borneo or something where it's, it's got something to do with it. Like, it's just, here's a camera, take a couple of shots and then that's it. And just with Lucinda loves, oh, it's a beautiful camera. <laughs> wow, I don't know if she'd ever seen a camera. I mean, digital cameras are still fairly new back then, so maybe it was kind of like, you know, uh, oh, it's a beautiful camera. But, Matt, you touched on kind of the 
the chill factor of of Kadena and just kind of like you know. As soon as you see Tapara, it's just like it's like a workhorse. Like Lance is like, let's put a rope over there. Let's do this. Let's do that. Whereas Katina just kind of like, oh, oh, it's not very big. Oh, it's a beautiful camera. Oh, okay. Um, I, I do just love the way they just kind of opposing tribes do it. Then I love the intersecting between the two tribes here where they don't know how to undo a bloody shovel. And, and who is it that doesn't know what to do? Sylvan. Oh, it looks simple, doesn't it? We hear that about three times from Sylvan, not knowing how to get his shovel open. But, but I absolutely love, he obviously gives up on it, and then David Haas later on, he's trying to do it, and he's determined that he will not be beaten by the shovel, but he still can't get it open. Oh, it's just, it's just Kadena in a nutshell. It's like, oh, we're going to do this. Yep, this is going to be great. And they just can't do anything with it. And then we, we cut to Tapara and the quote of the episode, which I'm pretty sure is coming from Tim. It might be coming from, I don't know. I swear it's Tim. But we hear when they're tying up the ropes. All those late night bonding sessions have come in good. <laughs> I I have listened to that back <laughs> numerous times and I can't work out if it is actually Tim or someone in the background. Whoever whoever it was that said it, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, I don't think it's Rob and I don't think it's Joel. So I think it's either Lance or Tim that is saying it. I, I think it's Tim because you do get like a scene in a minute with him and it's kind of just his, his voice and just his style. I think Tim's just kind of very chilled. He's kind of like the cool uncle, like, you know, just the, the thing he says. So, but I just, I just love that this, it's just such a random blink and you miss moment. And it's another one of these things out. Like every time I watch this, it's just Sylvan's bored and doesn't want to do anything. And I just think Tim's just wanting to tie people up and have some fun with them. Like it's just. <laughs> Oh, it's hilarious. Um, One thing I want to ask Cable too, because I know, Ben, we've spoken about it. What Cable, what was your first impressions of the actual both tribes' campsites? Because I've been a bit critical of it, um, you know, sort of the way it just looked and, and the sort of appeal factor on, on camera. What were your thoughts of it? Yeah, like uh, I enjoyed listening to you guys dissect all that sort of stuff in the previous podcast. And I couldn't say I disagree too much with what you guys say. I think... While the location in in certain aspects looks amazing, I think, unfortunately, the camps, there's just not a lot to them. And maybe we're just being spoiled over the years with having, you know, Fiji, Samoa, all these great locations where there's something to look at or there's plenty of trees or palm fronds or whatever bamboo you can use to make a good shelter and actually make it look visually all right. But it was it's a pretty barren kind of location as well. So... Yeah, it's it's you know uh, what do you say? It's just uh yeah, you almost feel like the, you should be seeing tumbleweeds blow through there sometimes because it's just very yeah very open, exposed. Yeah, there's a little bit of tree line, but not a lot. Um, yeah, go for it, Matt. <laughs> well, it's funny because you you said the words open, exposed, and I guess that's why there's the whole debate about the gr- the, the sheet. Is it going to be used as a ground sheet, or is it going to be used as you know like a roof to cover it? Yeah. And that's a big part of that initial sort of um, interaction with the tribe is Lucinda's adamant that she wants it as a ground mm. sheet, and then to be able to pull up over it, and then basically it's sort of almost like a um, like a sleeping bag almost, and then yeah. uh, I think I think it's one of the other girls. Uh, I think it's uh, 
Naomi, uh, maybe, I think. Naomi, yeah, sorry, Naomi. She says, oh, what about the taller people? You know, and, and um, yeah, but even then, like, Lucinda's sort of, she's adamant about what she wants, how she wants this first night to go. And I, and I guess probably the fact that, you know, she was um, the, the second oldest member of her tribe, it's probably um, not a good thing that straight up to be sort of telling them, well, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up, Matt, and sorry to jump in, Ben. Um that was the one thing that surprised me about this episode that I sort of had forgotten that Lucinda was really like really, you know, flexed her muscles a bit. Like she really wanted to, you know, put her, you know, mark on this tribe and, and, and have her way in a lot of scenarios. And she definitely really voiced her opinion a lot, which I had forgotten about. Which I think is, is interesting because one thing I think this season struggles with, and again, it's the constant thing we say with the context. I think it's just this early part of Survivor, and particularly with Australian Survivor, where you know they've only got a few things to base it off, and they're kind of running on their own sort of accord. Is that it does struggle a lot of the time to really sell why a person has been voted out, and I think it is unique in this episode. And I think you're absolutely right. Like they, they do show a lot of Lucinda's. I guess, bossiness and kind of her abrasiveness. But at the same time, it's not like this is really, at least we don't see, really annoying to the people to the extent where, like, you see them rolling their eyes or they've got a confessional going, oh, my God, this woman's a pain in the butt. Like, it's, it, you don't really see that. They kind of seem almost very upset that they have to vote for her. But it's it's very unique in the way they edit this and you, you are constantly seeing these abrasive moments with Lucinda without it really affecting the other members so much. I think... What you've got to realise too is on that first day, no one wants to make a decision and it's so frustrating. Like no one wants to be that person that says we're going to, oh, this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, they basically just want to want someone else to say it and then they'll just go along with it. So that way if it goes wrong, they can just put put the blame onto them. And that's just how it is. That's just the way people work. But there's always there's always someone that needs to step up. And I guess Lucinda's personality, and that's probably why she got on the show, was that, well, she was going to say, well, hang on, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds not making a decision. Like, this is how we're going to do it. And, um, yeah, otherwise it won't get done. Another few moments that I love kind of in this whole sequence, uh, just to, back to Tim. Tim, just this episode, just surprised me how much I forgot I, I, I like him, is when they're, they're putting up their shelter and she's ah, could be worse, could be a five-star hotel. Um, and just the way he does it, and then who is it that says in the background like, "Oh, I'm swapping camps"? Is that David over on Kadena? I think isn't it? Or I, I believe I believe it is. I believe it is. Just the way they do that, and then um, I love kind of when it goes this this intersecting between the tribes, and I think that the editing is a bit jarring just because again we don't get a confessional, we get no one really giving us direction of how this is going. All we're seeing is just kind of raw footage of them putting it together, which I think actually weirdly works. There are definitely moments where you don't know kind of what's going on. Like it's sort of all of a sudden you see them making fire, then we just get cut to a night vision of Jeff snoring, and then it kind of you know zoom back to day two, and then we get toilet talk where they've got their reward yeah. items, uh, one square, two squares a day. Um, and the first confessional we ever get in Australian Survivor is Jeff talking about toilet paper. So there's a trivia question for your kids at a trivia night. What is the very first confessional in Australian Survivor history? 
And I love the fact he says he, he went out and got the biggest roll of toilet paper <laughs> he could possibly find. So he was, he was thinking. It was smart thinking. And I do love in the Surviving Survivor special, they do have a little moment where they show the toilet where basically they're like, basically shit enough, they cover up, they move on. They shit enough, they cover up, they move on. Like, it's, it's a really cool little thing. And just throughout these other little random things, um, you know, eventually... Uh, Tapara gets fire with the help of kangaroo poo, which, uh, again, could you get any more Australian than that? And again, Joel's exuberance here, like, oh, oh, yeah. we're going to light this fire. Who's, is that your journal, is it? Oh, bloody hell. Oh, oh you can write about that in your journal. <laughs> like, jo- <laughs> Joel's on fire. Like, Joel loves it. But then in the meantime, switch back over to Kadita. Uh, there's a snake. And what does Stillman say in his confessional? Oh, yeah, we saw a snake. Oh. I thought they were a myth. <laughs> I love Sylvan. Like, I just, just, Sylvan's just bored and doesn't know what he's doing and he thinks snakes aren't real. <laughs> would, would he have to go down as the most chilled survive, Australian Survivor contestant of all time? He, he would have to be up there because on the top of my head, I can't think of one that comes close to him being as, like, as chilled as Sylvan. Very oh. naive as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he just like he just doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what a snake is. Uh- <laughs> you mentioned Cable Naive, and I guess that, that leads me to something I want to talk about, which is you, you look on the Tapara tribe, and they're on day two at the start, and they're, they're down, they're collecting fish, and you see them catching their first couple of fish, and then they're, they're chopping its heads off, and they're trying to, you know... Um, well, they want to eat it, and they're, they're eating them raw because they don't have fire, or they're, or they're eating them right at, at the um, at the point where they got them. And uh, Jane, I, I like I like this sort of segment with Jane here because you can clearly see she is way out of her depth. Like you, on day two, we've got this eighteen-year-old uh, player, and straight away on day two, you can you, you can clearly see this is going to be a tough ride for her. But I love the fact, and this is where I, I'll give her all the credit in the world, she, know, she knows Katie Gold. I mean, Katie Gold, she can clearly see this This girl's going to do whatever. Like, nothing's a problem for Katie Gold. And, and I, I dare say the same would be for, like, Shona. So here Jane is, and she she makes a remark that she, you know, she does not want to see uh, she doesn't want to show that she doesn't like the fish, and she certainly doesn't want Katie Gold to see it. And and then you see a shot of her eating a fish, and you, you can see she can't stand it. But I, I really got to give credit to to Jane there because there's no doubt she's she would have done nothing like that before. Yet the fact is, she's like, you know what? Like as much as I know I'm going to hate this, I, I'm I don't want to seem weak, and I'm going to give it a go. And I really give her credit. Yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I, I, it was another moment I'd sort of forgotten about a bit, and we probably over the journey you sort of probably don't give Jane enough credit, but uh, you know for her game and she was maybe the almost like the amber of our season when she sort of just tagged along and she was in that alliance. But uh, you're right, it's it's good to point that out, Matt. That uh, at least she had a go. She understood in the game how that could be detrimental to her game if she didn't eat the fish and look like she was at least being part of the tribe. Um, I actually loved, um, and I'm glad you brought up (laughs) eating the raw fish. And again, Katie Gold, she gives us gold all the time, doesn't she? Because she's eating the fish. They're all eating it. No one really says anything. All of a sudden she's like, I feel like a million dollars now. (laughs) (laughs) Like just eating the raw fish. And it's like, yeah, like, like as if she does it every day. Like, 
Oh, good absolutely. To go yeah. And it's smart editing. Like you know, we I guess we can be critical sometimes about with the editing of that that first season, but but it's smart that not only they're kind of killing two birds with one stone because they're showing that. Jane, as an 18-year-old, is still prepared. To, she's struggling even on day two, but she's prepared to you know, try new things and, and tough it out. But in that same sort of sequence, it's also showing how dominant Katie Gold is. Mm. And remember what? Katie Gold was only 24 when she played. Yeah. So we're not talking about an older woman here. We're not talking about someone like Shona who's 49 and done a heap of stuff in her life and knows exactly who she is. I mean, 24 these days is class as a young player. I think Paige on my season was 24. She was the youngest in our tribe. So, you know, that's another thing. On day two, we're already it's already laying the platform to say, hey, Katie Gold, she's going to be a real threat. And I think, yeah, I completely agree. And she has a confessional here where it's kind of, you know, intersected with Sophie uh, talking about opinionated people. And we kind of just cut back to Katie where she's like, I'm the type of person who says, let's do it together, but let's do it my way. Um, and like, just like, it's just, <laughs> love it, it's, love. it's fantastic. And I think, you know, Lincoln touched on this a little bit. And I think, you know, this is a definitely a thing about this season, which really does stand out is that you've got Katie, you've got Rob, you've got Shona, kind of these three people who are just so head and above everyone else. You've got Craig Shaw on the other tribe, you know, Joel plays for a bit, you know, Sophie's there for a bit, but it's just, it's cl- such a clear distinction, which yeah, is a negative in the fact that you want to see a good season with everyone playing. But again, the context is we keep bringing it up. American survival wasn't any different at this point. Look at Borneo, look at Australian Outback, look at Africa. You only had a handful of players that you would say, quote, are playing the game compared to what we're used to today. But Katie is just, we are going to praise so much with her in this season because I think, Matt, you you summed it up perfectly. This She's 24 years old, but you just could not tell the maturity level on her head here. And Katie's the first to talk about that she thinks she was young and naive yeah. and would do things differently. But... You know, sure, there are definitely moments where she's kind of shows her age later on in the season, but my goodness, the the head on this girl's shoulder is just insane. And this is again why I still to this day say she is the greatest female player in the history of Australian Survivor, and it's showing in this very first episode. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. That you know, again, I forgot. You know, like we, you know, there's not a lot of strategy talk in that first episode, apart from pretty much her bringing it up and starting just the plan of, like you said, to take down the other team, make them feel worse. Like, that guy's sick. Let's let's take him down even harder. Like, let's make him more sick. Let's not let him bounce back. I mean, she just did not stop right from the get-go. And we know Rob obviously was playing right from the, the minute he got off the bus as well. But, yeah, Katie's very underrated for what she put in place leading up and, and yeah, what she did in that drive to get herself into the best position to win, she was definitely, it was game on and and she was ready for it. And she's admitted that she, uh, on day one, she had worked out a plan. She she knew straight away who was, she had written down in order who was going, how it was going to play out. And it basically worked out to a T what she thought. And I think there's little things like this that people need to acknowledge when it comes to this season, when they talk about, you know, there was no strategy or kind of, it was only one because Tapara dominated so much. And, they're valid points to an extent, but it also comes down to the fact that, you know, I've always said with dominant seasons and dominant winners, you know, my defense of a Heidek or a, or a Kim Spradlin on seasons which are considered less than par, 
I will stand up for One World in Thailand because I think what makes those seasons so amazing in my eyes is you've got such a level of dominance that you're making the players look weak. And I think kind of that 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 is just such a level of dominance that, you know, if we were watching the, the Golden State Warriors a couple of seasons ago, you know, losing however many games they did. You know, you, you're talking about, you know, a greatest team of all time. Like this is to me, it's a survivor thing too. You're making the players look weaker. And while this season isn't quite like those other ones, but I still think that you just got to look at the Katie Golds and the and the Rob Dixons, and you don't see Rob this episode. I don't think he gets a confessional. Like this is a very interesting episode. You don't get a winner's confessional. I think Australian Outback Tina didn't get one in the opening episode, but yeah, it's it's very unique that we should also remember that we don't hear from Rob this episode. I'm gl- I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, you, you wouldn't. There's no way after that first episode you would. Well, you don't. You sort of don't know anything about Rob after that first episode, and um, you know you're certainly, um, yeah, probably not going to think he's winning the game um, from that first episode. But uh, I, I think what I like about this passage as well is that you, you sort of see Taparis. You see, you know, like we said, we see Jane eating this raw fish and out of her elements, but she's doing it. Katie Gold's already leading the way, and then you cut across to um, Kadena, and it, it's already going wrong for him, like. All of a sudden, you've got Dave Haas, who I will talk very highly of on this show. I love David Haas. I think he was well before his time, and we'll talk a lot more about him wow. later. But, um, but yeah, it, it cuts over to Kadena, and bang, all of a sudden, David Haas, day two, sick. You know, so it just shows you they do not get off to a good start as a tribe. Is he the first and last person that's got sick and had a head massage to rectify that? <laughs> Well, could he possibly have been bunging it on a little bit? I don't know. <laughs> From what we are led to believe, he he and um, I think a couple of the others got a little bit too uh, intoxicated the night before and uh, didn't realise that they were meant to have a big old breakfast the next morning on day one. So um, we're led to believe, and we'll have to confirm this with David. Uh, you know, should we get him on? Is uh, he might have been just not not too well from a big night of drinking and then didn't eat, and then kind of two days later, it's kind of. Coming back, but it is it's very unique, isn't it? Though, like how straight away we cut to him being sick, and then we're going to get into this challenge where it's kind of like, oh, and David is going to be sitting out. Um, like it's just, it's really interesting. And one thing actually, before we get to the challenge, uh, challenge mail. It's not tree mail. It's challenge mail. I never picked up on that before. Yeah, it's one of these unique things that you you see written on the bottom of the screen, but um. Anything to add before we move into the challenge that uh, any of us haven't covered? Anything here that we, we feel we want to uh, to touch on quickly? Uh, I love Katie again. Katie jumping in, though, straight away. I know how to throw a javelin. Boom. It's like, you know, Katie is just, just God on legs. Like, she is just incredible. Oh, you know you know, halfway through this first episode that, that Katie's going to be a dominant player. And, 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 and she shows her personality straight away, and that's what I love. But... But um, we do, um, yeah, we, we do move on to that um, immunity challenge. And, and you already touched on it, that, that David sits out. And uh, obviously that means then Tapara have to sit someone out. And, of course, they choose Jane. Um, is there any surprise there that she was uh, – and, and it's quite funny because she's actually trying to say, oh, no, no, like I, I, I'm fit enough and, and I'm healthy enough. I can do it. I'll be strong enough. But – Katie's kind of pushing her and a few of the others, but I kind of think Katie's kind of pushing her to, to be the one that puts a hand up. And then obviously Jane ends up giving in, giving up and says, oh, okay, I'll sit out. And then Katie quickly turns around and says, uh, Jane said she'll sit out. 
I, lo- I do love this idolization that Jane has of Katie. Like, kind of, like, as you said before, when she's saying, like, I don't want them to see, especially Katie. I don't want Katie to see that I'm, like, not liking this. And then straight away, it's kind of like Katie's goading her into it. And then Katie's yeah. just like, Jane, sit down. <laughs> I love it. I, I do love it. Like, Katie's just like, as soon as she gets, as soon as Jane says, yeah, okay, I'll sit down, bang, she turns around straight to Lincoln. <laughs> yep, Jane will sit out. Jane said she'll sit out. Just on just on the challenge and the whole sitting out now, I, I wrote a look Ben had said earlier, I did an article a few years ago and I was actually really critical of this decision by production as well. Because uh, and maybe I've got my wires crossed or maybe my memory was a bit faded, but I'm pretty sure I'd watched the season as I was writing that article. But would Jane have had to have sat out the next immunity challenge because she'd already like you couldn't sit out back to back? Because that's where, if that was to be the case, then the, I don't think that's fair that Tapara even have to sit anyone else out. They should have a free pass if if she did sit out because David has decided to pull himself from the challenge because he's not feeling well. Well, that's not Tapara's fault. That's like almost like bad luck. That's your choice. You want to sit out a weak member and you're expecting the other tribe to drop a member, then if... Again, hypothetically, Jane was the one that sat out. Then she should be allowed to um, sit out the next challenge if that was a a choice. That shouldn't be. They shouldn't be their hands tied behind their back because it's not their fault. Yeah, I, there's probably no you know sort of definitive answer on that. I think you're 100 percent right. I I completely agree um, that if 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 someone goes out at the last minute sick then that will then they get to choose whoever and then they get to be involved or sit out in the next one. Oh, I totally agree, but it probably comes down to production, you know, the next time they're probably, you know, sometimes rules kind of get made up as they go and um, probably just, yeah, there's probably no set rule on that, I'd say. Which I think kind of this is that part of the episode now where kind of this is where all the bad stuff starts happening. And I think yep. this is where yeah. people have this stain on this episode, which then leads into the stain on the whole season, because this is where it starts to go. And I think that's the very point where it does, because I agree with everything that was just said there. I think it's it's not fair, really. It's not Tapara's fault. Like, you know, if David's sick, then kind of stiff shit Kadena, you're going to be one person down. Like, it's really, you know, at that point, it should just be a case of just you've got to be done with seven people. I mean, straight away here, I, visually, this challenge is fantastic. I will not talk negatively about what they tried to do here because I think visually it looks fantastic. And I also love the way they walk into camp and they've got their arms around each other and you've kind of got that backward shot of them with Lincoln centred in the middle with the fire that's twilight. Like, it just looks fantastic. Sorry, I've I've even got it in my notes here. That whole them arm in arm walking up to Lincoln. I'm sorry, that's the weirdest thing I've seen on Survivor. <laughs> I I thought that was just strange. I kind of agree too. When I saw it, I was like, that looks just too manufactured a little bit, a little bit too staged. I disagree. I love it. I think it, I like. I can see what you're saying, but there's just something about it that I like because we're going to see this a lot. I think a lot of these challenges, you'll see them coming in with arm and arms. Wasn't it South Pacific that one of the tribes did that? There was definitely a US season where they would constantly coming in with their arms around each other or something. But um, yeah, I, Cable, did you have something to add there quickly or? No, I did like that instead of having tribal mats, they had tribal rock circles. <laughs> That's the budget. That was, uh, the, you know, the 10%. One thing, before we actually get into the challenge, um, we find out that they're playing for the immunity bell. What do you guys think <laughs> oh, of the immunity yes. bell? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh so loud. I, I, It's a bell and they can ring it. Um, 
Yep. <laughs> I don't know what to think about the immunity bell. <laughs> what about you, Cable? What were your thoughts? Uh, I think at the time I thought it was a little bit hokey. And you know what? It was probably in that era too when I was really big into The Simpsons and it made me think of the Liberty Bell, like when he's one Liberty Bell, two Liberty Bells, three Liberty Bells. <laughs> yes. It's. I mean, look, it's unique. I mean, it's kind of... Sure, fits, but um, it it's not. It's not any worse than the necklace they have this season. I mean, that just looks like they've picked up from like the two dollars store in Port Lincoln. I think. I think the bell. I think at first it was like, oh, bell. Why the hell do they have immunity bell? But it actually grows on me, and I hope it'll be interesting for our listeners that are um, watching it along with us as we do these recaps. That uh, if they come to the same conclusion, that in the end, I actually think I oh, actually wasn't too bad. The one thing I do like is when Lincoln's showing it. And he, he gives it to Sapara, and he's just like, "All right, give it back, give it back now." <laughs> like he's just like, "Give it back." And then it, I don't know if it's Craig or Sylvan. Let's be honest; it's probably no, Sylvan. No, it's, it's Sylvan. It's Sylvan who's like, says, oh, I, "I don't need to touch it." Yeah, I'll touch it later. Like he's even <laughs> bored. Then he's just like, "Ah, I can't be bothered touching it right now." Like I was hoping it would be Sylvan. I was going to assume it was, but um. So this challenge, I mean, basically the goal is they've got to run out to the water, they've got to collect a log which forms a bridge, and then they've got to go back and get another one which gets them to the platform. They've then got to light their torch, and from that torch they've got to get spheres and blow it, uh, throw it and blow it, I guess, to a big bonfire which then lights, in hindsight, a torch, uh, a, a rope, and then it lights up, boom, you've got a great fire. Now, again, visually fantastic. It's very unique in the editing here how you've kind of got that score and then you've got like the fast cuts with the music. So every time you've got the boom, 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 like you've got a cut between each tribe. And like it, it actually really works. Like this is one of those editing, unique editing that this season does, which I think looks fantastic. And the Jack Robin score kind of filled in with that. Like it's, it's really, really good. But then we get our little issue where it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And then we get a fade to Lincoln. All right, guys, clearly this isn't working. Mother Nature's beaten us. So we're going to have to come back tomorrow and try something different. Oh, by the way, you both get fire. Woo! And then they leave. Now, yeah, this is, this is the stain. This is the thing that stuck to this season. I would say even more so than what we're going to get with Lucinda at the end of this because you don't really know that Lucinda has voted for herself, really, unless you're really paying attention and with the quality of this episode that we're watching, you can't really tell. It's, yeah. It is very, very unfortunate because you would never get away with this today. Um, you know, we talked about this with Lincoln last week. This would be reshot. You wouldn't even know. But... We do know that this basically was just filmed in the context that we need to keep it real. We've got a schedule. We can't change this, which obviously is very frustrating because the magic of television, they could have done this and we would have never known. This is the thing. This is the beauty of what television is. And clearly they were very wet under the collar here with just the style of this television. They thought they had to do it a certain way because it it is... I don't think there's anything positive we can say about this. And even in the Surviving Survivor special... There's additional bits here where they actually kind of go out of their way to keep doing it. So, like, even what we're seeing here, they did try and improve it by letting them throw more, collecting them and doing it. Because we see that in the special. And it actually, apparently, they did light that wick with gasoline. So, apparently, that actually was helped a little bit. But 
it's just frustrating because this ultimately leads us to a, another challenge, which is going to be a tiebreak, which I guess we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But c- can we say anything positive about this? Because this is pretty bad for the first episode that with the magic of television, you don't fix this because this should not be how Australian Survivor starts. Yeah, I actually, I actually hate talking about it because it is so bad, and it and I really hold this very high in the in the reason why the season sort of failed, um, especially with viewers and a lot of viewers switched off after this episode, and um, and that's why I hate I hate talking about it because because we can never change it. Um, it will never be seen again like that. I mean, you're right, Ben. There's no way in hell they would ever do that in reality TV now. I think back then they were trying to be too nice as far as to say, hey, we want our audience to see that this is all real and we don't, you know, we don't cut corners as far as if something goes wrong, we'll show you. Um, fast forward to present day, you know, reality shows will more than gladly cut things in to make it to, to seem like it's happened, but something's happened, but really hasn't. I mean, it, it's totally different now. I mean, but back then I think the way they were wanting to shoot that episode was let's be open and honest. And to be honest, you don't be open and honest because that's where you go wrong, especially when you blow the first immunity challenge. And I want to remember, I think it's important to remember guys that Kadena were actually the ones that got, the fire going first to light yeah. that fuse yep. and in the re in the re well, the second immunity they lose and go to tribal so um you know at the end of the day it was never going to be fair for for kadena um but at the end of the day they should have just reshot it and never sh- never told anyone about it yeah i i don't disagree with what you're saying matt but i think for 2002 or 2001 when they shot it the problem with doing that, there's problems because I still feel like at that time, and this is for our listeners that are a bit younger and just joining this show and want to know the history of Australian Survivor, one of the problems here in Australia, I feel, and I know my parents were like this and a lot of that older generation, a lot of people were still skeptical of reality TV and it was fake and they were always looking to pick it apart. And especially with um, the Australian Outback was on. Then when news came out that um, Mark Burnett actually did some aerial shots and that wasn't the real players, it was the dream team or, or, or um, uh, what do you call What's the word I'm thinking? Um, extras. The extras, yeah, sorry, the extras and extra crew to look like Colby Donaldson and all that to get better visual shots. And when that came out, people were like, yeah, see, it is. They do fake it. It's all bullshit. So I think inherently the problem probably stemmed from, which I agree with you, Matt, they should have redone it, but I think they probably had the fear of we want this to be as genuine as possible. We don't want to trick the Australian audience. We want people to show that we're on the level. Yeah, it sucks that that was the way it happened, but that's how you got to put it in that context as well. I think they were trying to be above board with everything and transparent. It wasn't great for them, but that's probably what, where, how it happened. I think it's a very good point that Cable you raised there because I definitely remember when Borneo had come out and all the controversy around Stacey and everything that happened there. Mm. And that was on 60 minutes and, 
you're right. Like people were still getting used to reality TV and people still didn't believe it was real. And a lot of people would ask contestants, you know, oh, they were just feeding you behind scenes and you were getting sent to a hotel and things like that because it was like with 2019 eyes, definitely we look at this now and say that. I still don't think there's... Like, I still think they should have fixed this and then just kept it a secret for the the longevity of this show because, again, I'm, I'm, I agree with everything you said, but I think at the end of the day, too, like, so many... This is where the negativity really stains this season. And you've got a premiere episode of the, of the biggest show on television that year, you would probably say, for Australian-made television. And this is in the very first episode. Like, if this happened in episode four or five, sure, it's not going to be as big a deal. But this is it. This is the hook. This is the episode that you've got to get people in. And it didn't recover. If they they had to fix this and you didn't know, then I don't know if all of a sudden you're going to have the problems that you had later on with viewership for this season because... Yeah, it's just it's just that very first point there. The this is what you've got to do. So it's tricky. I, I can't disagree with what you're saying, Cable, because I think that context is important. But at the end of the day, you've also got to think about how you're going to survive this. I like the point that you brought up, Cable. But I'm a strong believer that there's a time in life when you tell the truth, and there's a time in life that you cover <laughs> that you cover your ass. Yes. And on the very first attempt of Australian Survivor, you've got. Uh, you know, you've got a massive sort of um, pr- promotions going on, you know, with, with people, uh, companies putting money into the show. You've got viewers that are, are, are wanting to to see if this is a real deal. Yeah. This is the time in the very first episode and the very first immunity challenge, you cover your ass every day of the week and you reshoot it and you don't tell anyone. I'm sorry. I, I, I get what you're saying, Cable, but there's, like I said, there's times yeah. when you cover your ass and this is one of them. And yeah, no, no, I don't disagree with that. I, I totally agree. I just, I'm sort of trying to put it into the historical context that I think back then Australia wanted to try and do things by the books. And I agree, they should have, because they probably didn't think about how damaging this episode was or the, the I guess, the lack of the challenge being able to be finished, that how much damage it would actually do to the brand and, and people staying with the show. One One positive, I guess... I'll take out of it now. I'm glad that it, it I'm kind of glad now that everything did go wrong in the first episode because it let us then just move on with it after that and it did turn into a really good season where you know if it happened halfway through and I know back then you know obviously viewers turned off but you know I guess now if there was going to be one episode where it all went to shit I'm probably glad it was this the first episode because then after that you can watch it and and things actually happen and it turns out really well. Could be the very reason why the official Survivor channel doesn't have this episode up on their uh, YouTube account. I got absolutely no doubt, Ben. Absolutely no doubt that they will never put that episode up. Interesting. One thing before we get to the quickly go over the challenge tiebreak, the confessional from Katie, which just going on to just selling how amazing she is. And I I wrote this down word for word because I wanted to read this out, sort of in between the the failure of the challenge and then we get into the challenge tiebreak. Katie, basically in a, in a confessional slash talk to her entire tribe, says, I really want to stick it, stick to the strategy, really go all out, keep them demoralized, get that guy who is sick, get him voted off. We don't want him hanging around and getting stronger again. And then once he's gone, we'll win the next couple of challenges and they'll be that demoralized and shattered that we'll be able to stomp all over them. That is like, that is gold. Hashtag Katie gold. That is just absolutely incredible. 
And she was almost spot on. I mean, they didn't get David Haas out straight away, the Kadena tribe. He, he, he did go early, though. But she was right. They they kept on going back to tribal and uh, they decimated them. So she, she was definitely onto something. Brilliant. And then we kind of get a bit of a scene. We get Naomi with a footy kicking around. That's her... Yes. Uh, her um, luxury item. We'll talk about some of the luxury items across this season. And Naomi, of course, is a Carlton supporter. So, uh, got to love Naomi here. Do, do you guys agree with me that once you, once that shot of Naomi kicking a footy and you could kill it, clearly see that she knew how to kick a footy, or straight away, we're just like, oh, who's this chick? Like, how good's this? Like, straight away, it's just like, I see, a, I see a girl kicking a footy like that. Straight away, I'm like, ah, that's awesome, you know? She'd probably be uh, an AFLW player today if that had been around in uh, 2002. Who knew? Yep. Uh, we get our tiebreak challenge. Nothing really to say here. They're all false. Um, it all borders <laughs> down to Lucinda getting it wrong and Jane getting it right, which I, I do love how they quick to get the, what they asked. Lincoln asked three questions and then it's all said, okay, tiebreak. <laughs> <Like, laughs> I actually, I love that you guys asked him the questions and he remembered all the answers, but I, I'm with you. Like, isn't it weird that. All four questions, the answer was false. Mm, like, yeah. Don't you change it up? I, I find that really bizarre. What would have happened? Because the first three questions were the whole, you know, eight each tribe. So there's a good chance that one of them is going to know the right answer. So there's a there was a really high probability ability that those first three questions asked, everyone was going to answer them right because you've got eight people in each tribe um, sort of deciding what, what, what it was going to be. But... What would have happened if they run out of questions to ask? Would, would we have gone to a third immunity challenge? Like, it just seems like a very risky backup challenge to do when you're asking true or false questions to a, a story that didn't really go for that long. Like, mm. there's only so many questions you can ask. Did they just get lucky in the end that, that Lucinda answered it wrong? Like, that, to me, that's even more risky. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I will say the one thing that I was uh, happy about was the mention of uh, Abel Tasman, the closest thing we'll get to a Tasmanian mm. connection in Australian Survivor history. So um, <laughs> thanks very much in the very first episode there. But uh, to par a win, uh, Jane gets the uh, the very hard question right because you just, again, just answer false for everything. You'll get there eventually. Um, I do love Joel's exuberance with the bell and kissing it and just everything along there. Um, and this is kind of where, you know, back to my point about how something this season does not brilliantly is kind of sell why a person is going home. Again, early days of Survivor, it's not like today where you're going to have back and forth some red herrings thrown your way to believe someone else is going home because realistically, we I think we all know it's going to be Lucinda because clearly Lucinda feels guilty here for losing it. She has a very famous confessional about, you know, physically I'm just not up there with you guys. I do love it when she tells that and there's kind of like an awkward silence and then someone's like, well, if that's how you feel. Um, and then Tim sort of saying he doesn't know. It could be him. Deb straight away is like, oh, I knew. I know who I was going to vote for. I absolutely love David Haas. He is random, yep. the most random confessional. Yeah, yep. Well, if push comes to shove, my vote would be for Karen. <laughs> and then it just comes to Karen. <laughs> and Karen's like, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I think we have to. Like, it's just, that's a Sylvan confessional. Like, that's, I wish that was Sylvan, but it's it's David who's just like, oh, might and, be Karen. And that's what I love. That's what I love about Dave Haas so much is even when he's sick as a dog, he's already had to sit out one challenge. He's, you know, he's struggling, yet he's, he's still thinking about, like, he's still thinking about the game. Like, he, he's, you know, yes, Lucinda was the easy vote, but he's still thinking above that, thinking, oh, I'd, I'd love to get Karen out, you know, and, even then, like on day three, he's recovering from sickness. He's still wanting to play the game dirty. I love it. 
Matt, Matt, be honest. The only reason you like him is because he's bald. Come on. <laughs> can, hey, he's can a great I, character. Can I ask Matty a question? So you've, you're obviously the one that's played Survivor. You lose that challenge. To be off the top of my head, I can't remember where it went wrong. But how hard is it to, if someone feels like they failed in that challenge, to console them or at least make them feel like it wasn't their fault or what have you? Because I had to laugh a little bit when Lucinda came back to camp and she's kind of like, oh, it's all my fault. No, he's like, no, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. I'm like, well, it kind of is. <laughs> it's like, it sucks that she got yeah, put on the spot. I, I think, but I, I she did lose that- the challenge. I think these days, though, most people, are, most contestants are pretty smart, like not to not to sort of take responsibility for a challenge. You see it occasionally, but, um, you know, if, if someone's blown a challenge, they I guess they know that it was them that did it, but um, you're sort of going to try to deflect it a bit. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think you're going to get too much of that these days where someone comes back. It's like, yep, yeah, my fault probably needs to be me going out because I was the one that blew it. Like, that that's old school, man. Like you just, I don't think you're going to see that too much these days. And it is interesting that nothing is raised more so about kind of her like bossiness and that we were talking a little bit about before, isn't it? But um, yeah, going into tribal here, I think we all are pretty certain we know what's going to happen. I, I I love the set. I love the tribal council set, the boat, the great beyond, which of course is a bit of a nod to the uh, the false travel show, which they were uh, pretending to film there to kind of keep people out of the loop that they were actually filming Survivor. Visually, it looks fantastic. They all light their torches. Lincoln, you know, talking about the ritual and uh, a couple of good little... They love their crossfades in this episode. There's lots of fading going on here. I'm surprised they didn't go, like, full Star Wars and do, like, some wipes or things like that. But, um, you know, we, we like the, the fades. And the confessionals, of course, Sylvan complaining about it being tough. Um, I do like Tim sort of... You know, Lincoln brings up the whole sheet situation that you raised before, Matt, and then, you know, Tim's talking about being a gentleman and abiding by them. David's, you know, talking about them giving a second, you know, probably won't give me a second chance or a third chance, whatever it is, if, you know, they keep me here tonight. No alliances, according to Naomi. I do, it's very interesting, actually, the things you note here in Australian Survivor. You know, one of my criticisms of modern Australian Survivor is the overdramatic music at Tribal Council. It's like, you know, uh, what did you do today? Oh, I got some rice. Dun, 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 dun. Whereas here, it's just, it's completely silent. Like, there's no music mm. at all. So, um, and Lucinda kind of wraps it up by saying she was feeling absolutely gutted, but they go to vote. I do love the feather pen. I love the set where they kind of walk up this bridge to the urn. Like, it looks great. But again, just the wind here, just the constant wind and the cold and just, you know, this location's not going too well for them right now. And I love that Lincoln, you'll never see him in a jacket. Like, it's as cold as hell. Yeah, it's freezing. You see all all the contestants there. They're in their big R.M. Williams jackets rugged up. But you, but Lincoln, being the professional he is, he will he will tough it out in the freezing cold and just be in his little button up shirt, looking the part. He he never puts a jacket on. I love it. And I do I did like actually at the challenge when they came in and he you can tell he's just absolutely freezing his tits off at the challenge. Like everyone else is in like you know arms around each other keeping warm and Lincoln's like, okay guys, welcome to the first challenge. It's just like shaking and all that sort of stuff. Um, I do like, I think is that the only one we actually hear from here is Karen and, and I love her little thing where she's like, your decision. So thank you for that. <laughs> like, God, just yeah. Subtle shade from Karen. And then Lincoln, he'll count the votes. Of course, he wasn't allowed to say tally the votes. He had to count the votes. And he has a, I, I love Lincoln's style of reading the votes. And he's just sort of, Lucinda, 
Another one for Lucinda. Here's another one for Lucinda. Not not quite like the uh, the we'll see the Dicko style of holding the votes up, which is very unique. Or not quite the my my favourite is personally Matt Sharp from Survivor New Zealand. The way uh, he he does his unique way of holding the votes. But I do love the way Lincoln gets there and he's like, one more and we'll have a majority, and I won't have to read anymore. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> okay, Lincoln. Thanks good. for that. Um, and then sadly, it's Lucinda who goes. It's and it's. This is where I think the editing doesn't work. The thing that I think really works with tribal council when a person is voted out is that it's that walk. It's when they get up, they have a couple of hugs, and they slowly walk to the host and their torch gets snuffed. Here they kind of chop it down and take away from that moment. So they actually kind of edit her walk out. So it's kind of she gets up and then she's already at the front. I don't know. Like it just it feels very odd to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I thought it was odd too because even once she does walk off, uh, Lincoln starts talking, but you're still in the background. You still yeah. see Lucinda kind of walking <laughs> up the ramp and walking off. And I like, yeah, that that surprised me. Like, I got, to, I don't know why that happened or why they did it. Like, wouldn't they just let her walk away? You pause it because then it's all editing. You know, they just end up cutting it back. You get her out of there, and then Lincoln then finishes off what he's going to say. So it sort of seemed very rushed at the end that they're already sort of wrapping it up, and <laughs> Lucinda's not even off the boat yet. Yeah, I think it's, it also came down to the way it was designed where she had to sort of go walk, you know, walk to Lincoln, put her torch down, get it snuffed, but then she walks back across the face of um, her tribe mates and out the back or out the other way, like the way they've come in. So that was a bit weird that there wasn't almost like an exit for the, the person voted out. But uh, are we going to mention the... Before we get to that, I just the one thing kind of on Matt's point about how it does feel very rushed because kind of when yeah she she gets a torch snuff she's walking off Lincoln is just basically like cool we'll be back next and then all of a sudden just cuts straight into the next time on Australians like it just it just cuts straight into it like obviously now. We we and American Survivor obviously does it. We sort of get the long shot of tribal council and we get the you know producer you know Jeff Probst all that sort of stuff before we get the next time on. This Mm. just feels so rushed, but yeah, um, we have to we have to. I mean, I guess each time we have a vote out, we're going to I guess quote eulogize the player. We might read some facts and things about it, but we're not going to necessarily do it too much with Lucinda this week because here's our announcement: we're having her on next week, and a lot of kind of her bio and things like that. We actually do kind of talk a little bit about it, so we'll save that for her next week. But, yeah, she created history by being the very first player to ever vote for herself. And, of course, the ultimate reason being is that she knew she was going. And, of course, at this point in Survivor, votes against you counted. So in a tiebreak, if you had votes against Mm. you, that was a detriment. So her thought process, which actually really is quite smart if you think about it, is to is to not have any votes left on anyone else to help them out in the long term. And, of course, there was really no rule, as in the Australian Survivor producers didn't have it written down that they can't do this. So, therefore, to them, this was fine, which, of course, it it, it shouldn't be. But, yeah, it's this is, again, the, one of the two main stains we have in this episode. What's the only things that people bring up about Season 1 of Australian Survivor? The first challenge failed and that first woman voted out voted for herself and sadly it's something we're going to see in the next season too but yeah it's it's a unique thing and Lucinda creating some history there and it's um yeah it's it's a very unique thing that this holds it it's easy for fans to be quick to have their opinions on this issue because 
I, I I did. I mean, I still can't believe someone voted themselves out. It's something that I would never, ever do, and I'm sure the same for you two. But since doing ASA and, and, and you're spot on, Ben, we've got Lucinda on next week who gives a great interview, and, and I know the fans are going to love it. So I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I, I want Lucinda to sort of be able to talk about it. But it's – and you touched on this. It's Now I know about – the situation it's actually a genius move because she knew she was going home like there's no doubt about that she knew she was going home and you're right back then votes previous votes could end up um, deciding back then if there was a tied vote who would go home and it's only three days in they've been together two nights you know i'm sure everyone was getting along fairly well lucinda ended up she knew she was going home um there was no doubt about that so Instead of being dirty about it, I guess, and and deciding, well, I'm going to put a vote on Sylvan, and that could have ended up hurting Kadena later down the track if Sylvan ended up going a tie with another, uh, uh, you know, Tapara member down a track who who had who had more votes or, or less votes. Um, so the fact that it was only three days in, I can see how this happened. I don't agree with it. I certainly don't think it ever should have been allowed um, for that exact reason that it was in the game at that stage that past votes counted she should have been made to pick someone in her tribe whether she liked it or not um but on her part if she's that friendly with those seven other players and she decides hey i'm not going to waste put a vote on you because that could hurt you later i'm going to just take the vote myself it's actually a very smart move on her behalf but it should never have been allowed I'm glad you sort of finished off there at the end because uh, I was going to rip into you in a second, but you sort of tidied it up and sort of jumped back on board with what I was going to say. Look, it's not, this is no disrespect to Lucinda, but producers should never have allowed it, one. But I think it's a cop-out. Like, you have to vote for somebody else. You're not allowed to. As, and, again, I don't know how they didn't have it as a hard and fast rule because it was a hard and fast rule for the American show, which is based off that you cannot vote for yourself. That's just one of those rules. And it's, I'm sure it's in the contracts and all that sort of stuff. You have to vote for someone. And especially when the game is reliant at that time in history was previous votes. That's a cop out. And how is again, that's not fair for the other tribe to para. Like if again, in the same scenario, Jeff was really struggling as I look, just vote me out. And then he puts a vote on Rob and then Rob potentially goes out of the game later on for previous votes how is that fair like if they're not you know told about this rule that was Lucinda was kind of allowed to break yeah maybe it's not her fault but she should have just I don't know had the guts to you know it was smart I know you're saying to protect her tribe mates because she loved them all but she should have been told you have to choose somebody and, and I agree with that. I'm not arguing that point yeah. I'm arguing the point of she's come up she, she knows she was going to go home she's I guess, found a bit of a loophole in the rule to say, hey, well, I'm going to vote for myself so no one else gets a rule. It's not her fault if they let her do it. If they yeah, let I, her do it, that's a production error. Yeah, you know, no, so, I agree with that too. But I, I still think – but you still got to have – you're out there to play a game, and I still feel like production, yeah, one, is the one to blame. They should never have allowed it. They should have said, you need to vote for somebody, put someone else down on the passion. But at the end of the day, she – She's there to play a game. You know how it works. I know it sucks. You don't want to vote for someone out so early, but that's the game. You—that's what you. Hey, we did videos, man. We did videos to play this game, and I just, 
I've that's always irked me that still that production should have shut it down, but she should have uh, she should have actually had the balls and courage to actually pick somebody. Oh, I agree, Cable. I'm I'm completely agreeing with you, but. Was she a bigger fan of Survivor that me and you were at the time? Like, probably not. You know, like, she probably, you know, as you may find out next week how she got on the show, like, how it came to her. Like, let's wait till next week to find that out. But you've got to remember, like, yes, look, Cable, I know you would never do You would never do that. I would never do it. Ben would never do it. At the end of the day, she did do it, and production allowed it. That's, yeah. what, that's where they should have drawn a line and said, no, you either quit or you put a vote on one of the seven other people. See, I see all your points and I definitely see what you're saying, but I've never really had that much of an issue with it because I think at the end of the day, if it's not a rule that is brought up to her, she doesn't know any different, as you both alluded to, it's production's fault. And I think ultimately with her deciding what she's doing that way, as I said before, it's, it's a very smart move to have. I, I'm I'm an advocate for having past votes work against you. I think that that should be how tiebreakers are made still. I, I love that. I think it adds a different strategic element, and I think that works. But it's it's really something that's never bothered me because this is something that is, as I said, is always brought up as a negative against this season, and I just don't fully understand it to the point because you're playing to the game that's given to you, and that's the game that's given to you, and that's what she's done. So... I, I definitely see your points about the whole, you know, you've applied and you would never do that. But it's, it's at the end of the day, you know, Matt, you've obviously played. You can, you can speak a little bit differently to Cable and myself. But it's, it's also like the argument where people will constantly have with people who quit the game. It's like, you know, I, I've applied for the show. I would never quit. And that's a fair enough statement. I understand it. But I've always kind of just taken a step back and gone, yeah, I, I would be that person. I would never quit. But again, I've never played the game. I don't know what it's like. So I, I, I personally can't put myself in a person's shoes. Matt, again, you're a little bit different. You can. But that's where I try to look at it slightly differently. So I can see the angles. I can see the points you guys are making. But yeah, it's just it's just honestly something that's never really bothered me. I just I don't, to me, really look at it as such of a bad thing as some people do. Yeah, I guess I just would have rather production a step up and say, hey, you know, you either quit or you put a name down because it votes do affect later in the game. And, and you know, I guess that's where I wish that production did step up. Um, but in the end, she, you know, Brian Lake on my season, Brian Lake famously said that he pushed the boundaries, pushed the rules, and he, he did that in his AFL career. He did that on Survivor, and he would do it until he was pulled up about it. And I guess at the end of the day, if a player's going to play like that, it's up to production to get some balls and say, hey, this isn't acceptable. He did play for Hawthorne, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. speaks a lot. Um, just quickly, and as I said, Lucinda, we've got her on next week, so we won't go too much into it. But just, just final thoughts on Lucinda. I mean, again, one episode, we don't see a lot in terms of other things. It's edited more differently. I would go out on a limb and say if we were to do a confessional count of first boots, that uh, she'd be in the lower tier. I don't want to say Kim Johnson has less than she does, but um, yeah, I mean Matt. I think with you, obviously, she's in your club. She's one of six people. She's a, she's a first boot. Uh, I mean, just any other thoughts on Lucinda before we kind of close it out? It's interesting. It's sort of one of those things that it's just, it's in history now, isn't it? It's etched in history, and and no matter how much we debate what should have happened or what shouldn't have happened, it's never going to change. It will always. 
be a topic that gets brought up when we talk about this season. Um, when you hear the name Lucinda, everyone you know knows that she was the one that voted herself out in the very first episode. So it's interesting. I mean, yes, yeah, she's she's a part of the first boot club. She's the very first one. Um, and you know, I just think a lot of things went wrong this episode. That sort of put the ice, you know, the cherry on top for that first episode. And you know, it's it's a lesson. I think. Well, it wasn't a lesson for Celebrity Survivor because it happened again, but it's a lesson certainly for Channel 10 that I can guarantee you it will never happen in the Channel 10 season, and that's a good thing. I was just going to say, it was good to look back at her episode, and, and like I said earlier, I, I was surprised how much of a presence she had in the episode, and like you touched on, Ben, it was a weirdly edited episode in that there was not a lot of strategy talk about her going out and maybe the reasons, and... So I didn't have any issues with Lucinda. I just, again, didn't like the vote, the vote for yourself sort of thing. But um, I thought it was a bit sad too because we didn't even see her really struggling in the game until the moment she sort of broke down and said, guys, just vote me out. Uh, like she seemed like she was doing fine. Um, didn't seem like she was really struggling at all. And then all of a sudden there was that quick, you know, it's like on a dime she's sort of just starting to struggle. So, Matt, you need to talk. Well, I'm just going to say that, and I think, you know, it is a big topic. We all have different opinions, like slightly different opinions, all three of us. So that means all our listeners are going to have different opinions than us. And I think that's why it's important. And and I'm not going to give anything away, but it's important for everyone to tune in next Mm. week for the Lucinda interview because hear it from the horse's mouth. Like, let's find out what was going through her mind when it happened and, and her experience of, you know, before and before the show and, and, and then on the show. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting listen for everyone. And, oh, I can't and, and wait. Maybe then, yeah, and maybe then everyone can, can come to their own conclusions. And I think too, it's great. She gives a lot of context too into to Kadena's mindset as well, because I think kind of on that weird editing, we, you know, we we're not seeing alliances, we're not seeing this, but you know, she actually gives a bit of an insight into kind of what was actually going on around camp with that sort of thing. So it is a great chat, and we're not just blowing our trumpets. It is a great chat. So that's next week. Just one thing I'll quickly add as well. I, I do like the next week on Australian Survivor, and we get the you know the survivors have a playful side, and it's kind of like, guess what, everyone? It's not that terrible. We've got girls in bikinis next week. Tune in. <laughs> so yeah because and i also like lucinda's final words where she's like it's not like other survivors like i thought i was gonna die on national tv (laughs) (laughs) that was a great closing wasn't it i think the the last word she says is yeah it's the hardest survivor out there or something like that basically talking it up to say this is bigger and better than any american survivor it's harder and it, it was a good little little closing one thing I'll so quickly add as well, this episode actually does have a title because I don't think the Channel 10 uh, seasons actually give the episodes titles like the Americans does. I think they did for like the first few episodes of season three, but then they just stopped doing it. So this one, funnily enough, is just called Whaler's Way. So uh, we'll have to remember to mention the, the titles each week. So... Yeah, that I mean, now it's our episode one. It's probably gone a little bit longer than we're going to generally do these ones just because there's a little bit more to talk about, I feel, on this one with a few of the, the controversial topics. But just just closing thoughts here, guys. Just can you take yourself back to 2002 and remember your mindset after this episode? How how were you feeling after your first taste of Australian Survivor in, in 2002, Cable? Um, I do remember being obviously disappointed at how the challenge, firstly, f- you know, sort of finished or didn't finish, and then it had to be replaced with a, a, a show off of um, a trade off of um, trivia. Um, 
and then obviously Lucinda's vote. Again, I'm not going to go over that again, but again, for me, that was very jarring again for what we knew from the template that the American version set up that I felt like, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Why are we kind of replicating everything apart from that, changing a rule around? Anyway, I, I remember being disappointed but still hopeful that, you know, there's still plenty of episodes to turn it around. I like Katie. I, you know, I had a vested interest in Rob. Um, there was still a lot of upside to be had. But I remember feeling like the people I watched it with it on the night that I sort of really pumped the show up, I could feel like I had this weight on my shoulders that I'd let them down a bit because they were a bit confused about how it happened and it seemed – just it wasn't as good as what they were expecting and what I'd talked up. So um, I guess I was a bit disappointed from that point of view as well. Yeah, and and I was the same. I mean, definitely disappointed, but I was still pumped for the next next episode. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, as much as I realised this probably wasn't going to be up there with the American seasons, like it was pretty obvious. Like they weren't anywhere near on the budget of the American seasons. Um, I was look, I was still just as pumped. For the next season, uh, for the next episode, it, it didn't, it didn't change my mind. I, I never thought, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna skip this season. I'm not gonna worry about it, man. I, I was still just as excited to watch that next next week's episode. I, I think just echoing both your thoughts. I mean, I definitely was disappointed in the fact that it was this isn't what I thought it was going to feel or look like. But I didn't want to give up, and I, I didn't give up. I watched the whole thing, taped the whole thing, and obviously, you know, varying thoughts across the way. But um, yeah, I, you know, I. I don't usually give up on things after one episode. So, um, yeah, it was it was disappointing, but at the same time, I wanted to, to keep it. But, I mean, again, in hindsight, here we are 17 years later talking about it, uh, defending it, talking about its merits. And, again, this is something that we've said constantly and we'll keep saying it's aged well. It's definitely, you know, a lot better to watch now than it might have been 10 years ago. I think, like, it, it definitely holds on its own two feet right now. And, yeah, episode two, uh, I think we've got some good things to talk about, uh, some more great things to talk about. Sylvan just just not tuning. He's tuning out already. He hasn't won his car yet, so he's bored. But uh, get excited for the Solo episode, everyone. I think that, uh, you know, we've... 2018, we had Solo, a Star Wars story. 2002, we had Solo, a sponsorship story, because bloody hell, they love their Solo, don't they? I've already got my solo chilling in the fridge. True story for next episode. I've already got it chilling in my fridge, a 10-pack of canned solos. <laughs> Watching all this Survivor lately, the old school Survivor, it's got me drinking solo again. I want you every week to be eating your Lay's chips and solo. I want a, I want a selfie every single week with a different flavour of Lay's and solo and Pepsi. Well, I, I don't. can you get Lay's in Australia anymore? I, know, I went to Coles and they don't. Sell lays at Coles. So I don't live in Australia. Table down there, I don't know. Does anyone? <laughs> <laughs> no, but was it? Isn't lays just rebadged as something else here? Is it? I don't know. I thought it was. Well, well, lays, but lay. We shot it in Australia, so unless unless over time they renamed it. Let's something. contact yeah, lays and get some chips sent to us. You think we can give away our listeners some I, lays chips? I, Seventeen years later, I we're giving them free publicity. I think lays was like. Definitely the the name of the brand or the company, but then they have all the different products. So, but let's well, I'll research. Let's research. Well, 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 no, let's put it out there to our listeners. Can we get someone to research it? Just a listener and send us in um, 
at least that way we know people are, are listening to this end part. But uh, yeah, if, if there's any listeners out there that can maybe send in a, a little thing to our in, uh, Facebook or Instagram and tell us where can you get Lay's chips from or is it uh, known just... by another name? Breaking news, uh, Reddit post from three years ago, somebody said, what happened to Lay's? Are they still sold anywhere in Australia? I suddenly remember that I used to be able to buy Lay's chips when I was a kid. Then they disappeared. I assumed it was because the company collapsed or something. But are they still sold? They are still sold in other countries. Um, basically, it says here, Lay's bought out Smith's in the 1990s, released Lay's and stopped off Smith's advertising to try and make Lay's after about 10 years. Smith's were still out selling Lay's, so they gave up and rebranded Lay's as Smith's Thins. Uh, yep. So in 2004, all Lay's chips became Smith's. There you go. Yeah. So, so now I'm going to go get some Smith Thins. Is it Thin? <laughs> Smith's Thins. So that, that's basically the Lay's, but it's just... Yep. Not the crunchy ones, the thin ones. I'm a light and tangy man. I used to love those light ah, and tangy. I don't mind a bit of light and tangy. But I'll still have my solo thirst, thirst crusher oh. by my side next episode. As long as it's not Pepsi, because no one drinks Pepsi. Come on now. That, <laughs> no, I've got I, still, I, I still can't go past the old Doritos and Mountain Dew mix. Oh, yeah, yes. no, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I like a good Dorito. You're making this man right now on a keto diet very sad. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Cable, just just quickly off Survivor, you brought up Mountain Dew. Are you a, are you a fan of the new Mountain Dew Energize that they've done the last couple of years? They've sort of changed it into the they put a bit of what, they put a bit of caffeine, caffeine in it or something. Um, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of Mountain Dew probably in the last eighteen months. But uh, yeah, I'm, uh, what do you do? It's it's the same sort of product. They've added caffeine. Probably don't need it, but it's the only version you can get. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I still enjoy it. A uh, special shout out to our future sponsors, uh, Smith Chips, Doritos, uh, Pepsi and Lay's. You're great. Thanks for all the support. We're giving you free advertising here, guys. Uh, so we expect a quid pro quo in the future. This has been Australian Survivor Archives. This has been our very first uh, episode recap. It's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. And as we said, next week we've got a fantastic interview with Lucinda, the first boot from this season, so stay tuned to that. In the meantime, if you haven't already, jump on social media. We're on Facebook. Search for Australian Survivor Archives. Like us on there. Twitter, Australian Survivor Archives. Like us on there. Instagram, we're about 900 and... No, about 859... What are we here? Like 880 away from seeing Matt's table. We're going to get to 1,000 to get Matt's audition table. We're going to get to 500 to see Matt swing on a vine Tarzan style. So, you know, we're continuing to whore ourselves out there for the likes. So get on there and and do that. Uh, we're on iTunes, of course. Best way to do that, subscribe. And while you're there, it'd be great. Leave us a rating. Give, give us some feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, other podcast services, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, we're all on there as well. Cable, quickly, for yourself, give us a plug. You're doing a podcast for yourself. Sell, sell your podcast. What are you doing? Tell tell our listeners what, what what's out there and what they can hear if they listen to your podcast. Uh, they can hear me in the next coming weeks. I will be talking uh, sequel movies. So, the so you do, you do like a, a movie podcast mixed with a bit of Survivor here and there? Yeah, nah, the Survivor, I'm sort of hanging up the headphones a bit and I'll just sort of help you when you need it. Um, I'm, I'm having a Survivor rest. So yeah, uh, having a rest, okay. So I'm just focusing on movies. I think there's what, enough Survivor content out there that I don't need to be another voice in the, you know, the... Yeah, bloody Survivor podcast. So, what do they know? They're talking about bloody dickheads. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and what's the name of this podcast, Cable, for our listeners? It's, it's actually called Sequel Suck. Also, you've ch- so this is so you've changed the name of your podcast, or have you just started a new podcast? No, well, this is a, the another branch of the podcast. Yes, right. So the the cable network, the movie, the movie. Well, the cable unplugged. <laughs> cable unplugged. Sequel Suck. 
Right. Look it up. Find it on social media. Yes. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun having you, Cable. And to everybody who's listened, thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week. My name has been Ben, and I'm just going to go check my bondage ropes. My name's been Matt, and uh, I'm going to go do the dew and have a mountain dew. <laughs> and I've been Cable Sage, and I feel like a million dollars now. Okay, guys, take off the blind it's literally the end of the road. Green over here, blue over there. Now keep in mind that they made one wrong move, they ended up at the bottom of the ocean. So, something to think about. Speaking of food, to the great white, Australia's poor shark. Tend with deadly brown snakes, scorpions, and giant ants. Around here they call them inch ants, but believe me, you'll know when you find one. I reckon we should just take the I'm just the the meter perfectly. I can do 80 metres within a foot. Right. So, I'll set the meter in your car. I'm going to start with you, Sylvan, if I can. How hard was it coming to me? It's very difficult. Very difficult. It looks pretty simple, doesn't it? It looks simple, doesn't it? It looks so simple, man. I guess I'm the kind of person who likes to say, okay, let's do it together, but let's do it my way. But I really want to stick to the strategy, really putting all out, you can demoralize, get that guy who's sick and him it off, you don't want him hanging around and getting stronger again. Yeah, once he's gone, we'll win the next two couple of challenges and then I'll be there for sure. We'll be able to stomp all over them. We saw our first uh, grand snake today, so that was interesting. We thought it was just a myth, <laughs> but they're here. <laughs>